Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Have you ever been so much in love that you happily go on a murderous killing spree across America? I mean, I have, but that's a story for another time. This week, we'll just leave it to Terence Malick to tell us the story instead. On Adjust Your Tracking, this is a podcast where we're on an adventure to watch a century of cinema, decade by decade, year by year, and I'm one half of your host, Liam Delaney. And I'm Oliver Jones. Who is apparently asleep. Like. <laughs> I, was just, I was just looking at my notes. I was still thinking, like, people still say to me, I know we're almost 20 podcasts in now, and they're still saying, do Fight Club, do Die Hard. I'm like, I don't think you get the point of this podcast. You don't think you get the flow of this going. Yeah, well, well, doesn't matter. And we are. It's a, it's a uh, unusual late night record, isn't it? It's a late night, sexy, sexy record. Yeah, it's, I don't a, know if it's sexy. It's just you're tracking after dark. After hours, yeah. Yeah, we're taking all your confessions. Call in. Ollie's got a beer. Ollie's got a oh. dirty beer. I've got this. Well, you got wine. Yep. <laughs> wine and beer. I'm gonna open it now. See if it makes it. Oh, that's good. That's a good sound. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doing some foley work now. <laughs> Mick Foley work. Mick Foley work. Oh, Mick Foley. I once I, I heard he got chucked off the top of a hell in a cell once. I've heard about that. <laughs> How are you, Ollie? <laughs> I'm good, thanks you. Um yeah, I'm good. I uh, just got back from Brum. Um yeah. went to visit my parents today, so I haven't seen them since Christmas. Uh, Bloody yeah. yeah, since Christmas. So uh, we, me, me, since Christmas, it's been my birthday and then my mum's birthday. So we did a bit of a gift <laughs> exchange, um, and so that was fun. I went to the Peak District today. Did you enjoy the Peak District? I did. Um, I was actually doing it to um, one because it'd just be a nice walk, and then doing some location scanning because it's just see like everything there is just accessible. scenic, like just and it's accessible. And I don't think people care what you do around there. What else have I done this week? I've had quite an f- interesting week this week. Uh, I entered a Bill and Ted competition, spent a week on it, <laughs> making these claymation puppets. Yeah, they look uh, awesome. Delivered it. I then found out I could, I'm not eligible to uh, <laughs> enter the competition because <laughs> I'm from the UK. So that was good. Um, then I got... Then I got asked to do an animated segment in a music video, a stop motion segment, a 40 second okay. segment in a segment in a music. So how long's the music video? So it's like a four minute music video and then they want like a part of it to be animated. Okay. And um, they obviously liked what I came up with for the 40 second because they had conversations behind the director's back and they went, yeah, we want you to make it now. All oh, stop motion. No. I'm just like, and my head exploded. Oh no. I mean, that's good because, yay, they like your stuff, but it's bad because, one, it feels like you sniped a job from someone, but two, that's a lot more yeah, work. Yeah, but also, then they spoke to the guy and he said, oh, I'm actually quite happy because I didn't think I could deliver a, 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 even a half, mostly live-action video in five weeks. And I was, like, thinking... <laughs> thanks. <"Yeah>, thanks. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's 100% going to go ahead because... Um, they haven't agreed on the budget and mm-hmm. i don't think people realize with stop motion mm. like it's gonna cost you have to you have to build everything it's not only yeah. do you have to build the sets the rooms the props the costumes you have to build the flicking actors as well yeah 
And so almost actually bits of the actors because you sometimes might have to build like different faces or different hands or different costumes. Well, yeah, or, or you like, might like... you might even build just a massive head just for close-ups. Oh, just for close-ups, yeah. 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 So, um, and what else have I done? I interviewed Lee Hardcastle for my other podcast. Oh, cool, yeah. The um, cool. So he's another stop-motion guy, isn't he? Claymation guy. Yeah, slightly more successful than me, though. He's got like a million <laughs> million subscribers now. But, um, he recently released his fourth Simpsons couch gag. I don't know if you've ever watched his Simpsons couch gag. I have, yeah, yeah. But they're really cool, and they're now apparent that they're all part of the same story. And he's created this weird, crazy oh, okay. time travel narrative that's going on. But yeah, check it out. Like the first one is based on the film. Is it Who's Next or You're Next? It's like that Home Invasion one. Is it You're Next? I think yeah. it's You're Next, where they kind of got all pig masks and stuff like that, and like animal masks, yeah. and then. Then the second one was a like a Reservoir Dogs bank heist kind of thing. Yes, and I remember that one. The third one was like Master of the Universe, and then this one is Taxi Driver mi- mixed with uh, yes. the Joker. Yeah, you showed me. Yeah, so that was really cool. So where can people find that? Is is Lee, Lee Hardcastle on YouTube? Yeah, he's got his his URL for YouTube is youtube.com forward slash death. <laughs> I don't know how he got that. <laughs> right in there. Yeah, man. I think, well, he makes a living out of YouTube, and that's pretty incredible, you know, if you can yeah. make your living doing YouTube videos. But what he does now is he, I think he got into his head, he wants to start doing long form projects. So, like, he did start to do 20 minute films and stuff like that. But then what he found was he was away from his audience for too long, and he wasn't engaging with his audience and stuff like that. So, what he's, what he now does is shorter films, but he also does Twitch streaming. So, you know, most, most people do like, they play games while they're streaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll stream as he's making a stop motion puppet and chat to people. That's cool. And then he'll stream as he's animate. And it's, I watch it as well. One because I'm I'm friends with him, so I to chat to him. But also, um, it's quite therapeutic. Just watching sure. someone making stuff live is quite nice. And also, whenever he makes a mistake, it makes me feel like ah, oh, he's human. Yeah. because it's the yeah, same yeah, mistakes yeah, yeah. that i make or happen to me and i'm thinking sure. oh it's good that it's, i'm not the only one that these things happen to like where you you've got your model standing in one frame and then all of a sudden it just goes, collapses and like i've got to start all so, over again now. and in the model's face is like flat in the, <laughs> like it's like squashed in and yeah if you were doing like a kubo film or like one of those those ones wouldn't squish because they're like hard resin faces aren't they Whereas yeah Claymation, yeah, your your face is fucked. Your face is fucked. You have to start again. Claymation's fun. So, what have you been up to this week? Um, I don't know. Work. <laughs> Work. I tell you what, I I finally decided to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender. The uh, the TV oh, the, show. the series. Yeah, so I know that's very old. What is it? Two thousand and five, I think it's from. Um. See, in my head, 2005 is not that long and then long ago. And then I realised I was 21 in 2005. <laughs> it's a long time ago. I'm now, I'm now like at the wrong end of 30 now. So, <laughs> no, I'm going backwards, I decided. Um, going backwards. Benjamin buttoning it, are you? I'm Benjamin but Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a Benjamin button for the rest of my life. It'll be much more fun. And, so you've only yeah. got 36 years left. You've got a countdown. Oh, good point, yeah. Maybe I'll go up again at some point. <laughs> You'll fluctuate. <laughs> yeah, just bounce around that kind of mid-twenties. It'd be fine. Um, 
Last Airbender. It's it's really good. There we go. Yeah. That's my review of it. It's it's there's a reason why people never shut up about it, and it's constant memes and stuff like that. It is really good, and it does really work, and it, and I really enjoyed watching it. And because it's only twenty minute episodes, I bashed through the four four seasons. Is it three seasons? In um no time at all. So you're on to the spin-off now then? Yep, I've started watching Cora uh three days ago and I've watched about I've watched a season of that already. Um I I like Cora as well. I like the main character Cora a lot. I think she's really cool. Um actually I think she she seems like to be a better character than Ang actually than the original. But um the animation has definitely this... took a step up as well for Legend of Cora, which is really cool. So is the the last Airbender guy Ang? Is it Ang? Yeah. Is it Ang? Have I met? Is he Aang, in? Yeah. Is he in the other series as well? He's dead by the time Korra comes in, because oh, she's okay. she's because she's the new Avatar, so he's got to be dead for her to be the new Avatar. Oh, I've I've never seen it, so I I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, what was the Aang, film like? I've because I've I've told you this that I've seen the film more than one. I think I've seen the film three times. Um, and obviously I saw it before I ever watched the, the show. It is the most incomprehensible film I've ever watched. And I still couldn't tell you what's in it compared to the show. Like, I still struggle to to, to understand what they were doing with it. Because the show is so different to the film. It's actually remarkable. Is um, it kind of like when well, they tried to do the Dragon Ball Z film? That kind of level? It's got to be. I'd never bother watching the Dragon Ball Z film. But why would you try and get something that is like... Three, I guess I think it's three seasons in it, like twenty-ish, sixteen episodes maybe each one. Why would you try and ram that into a two-hour film? Why would you even? Is that bother? what they tried what? to do? Like cram the whole. Well, thing I guess they one. tried to do season one really, but again, season one it's a show, so it has so much flows to it. I don't understand when people watch a TV show and think we'll make a film out of that because the TV show has time to do like filler episodes and comedy stuff and character growth stuff that you don't films don't get the time to do. And I just find it a really odd decision people I, do that. The thing I find weird about that is they should have either done it as an animated film that's set in the same world as the series, but kind of make yeah, yeah, it yeah. its own standalone adventure. Sure, yeah, that'd be or, really cool, actually. Or do the film in the same kind of manner. like So it's kind of mm. in that world, but it's like it's its own Yeah, thing. I mean, Ang is like the only the newest of the avatars. There's been like hundreds of avatars throughout time, so they just pick one of them. Just do like this is the tenth yeah, avatar that... or something like, and he was he was the one who invented airbending. I don't fucking know. Like, what? Like, it's like they tried to do that with Scott Pilgrim, didn't they? They kind of. So I actually like the film, but I will admit that the first half is very loyal to the first two books. Then they just kind of like rush. It just kind of goes off of its it. own fucking yeah, yeah. And apparently they. I like they it, might but, be doing, yeah. They're talking about doing um an an anime series of Scott Pilgrim now. So and okay. Brian Lee O'Malley is talking about revisiting the characters when they're in their mid thirties now. Okay, okay, so, might be quite interesting because when we started to read those books, we were the same age as Scott. Oh, that's true. It never occurred to me. So yeah. if he if they came out now and he's in his mid thirties, then that weird. You know, well, I hope he's as depressed and and <laughs> anxiety ridden as I am. That would be nice to read. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Lee O'Malley's funny I thought he was going to have a big career and he just kind of went quiet didn't he really I've read his other book Seconds oh and I yeah, keep thinking, yeah. Oh, that only came out like a year ago no it came out it in came like out. 2014 it was ages ago yeah it ago. did yeah it did like come he hasn't ages, done yeah. anything for it I think he's just living off Scott Pilgrim money oh, I bet he's got I bet he's it's obviously done it. well enough Scrooge McDucking it yeah um, 
What else was I going to say? Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So you watched Avatar: The Last Airbender? Yeah, I'd really um, recommend it. It doesn't take long to get through, and I really enjoyed it. Honestly, really enjoyed cause what, it. Because what I was going to say, she, what's her name, Cora? Yeah. Is it Cora? Yeah. She, she like in the LGBT community. Then that character, or am I? Not as far as I've seen so far, but um, I don't know. I don't. I, I haven't. I, know, I don't know anything about it. So I'm hopefully uh, if if that'll be a surprise to me. She's dating a boy in the show at the moment. So oh, okay. I don't know. No, because cause I know that that SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, that now, was a weird one, wasn't it? He's now because they did a whole like gay. Because yeah, because Nickelodeon did a whole thing, a presentation of their gay characters in, and I'm sure one of the characters from the Avatar series, one of those, it was was part of it. I just thought it was quite okay. interesting, and I thought it was quite cool. But it should be, and that yeah, it should be. But I don't know. I don't know anything about that. That's all I can say. <laughs> I wasn't surprised about SpongeBob, though. To be honest, I, mean, I am because I thought he was. I thought he was canonly asexual. I thought that, and yeah, I, I kind of so, yeah, liked yeah. that. I kind of liked that about him actually. If he was like you know an ace, he was just um, because. And also, sponges are hermaphroditic in in life. So yeah, <laughs> it starts raising questions: what, what a gay hermaphroditic sponge is. Let's let's move on before we start asking questions. <laughs> Have you watched any movies this week? Uh, I've watched a lot of movies that revol- involve uh, a Mr. Terence Malick. So <laughs> because we obviously, I think this might be a Terence Malick themed episode today. It might be, yeah. Though I haven't watched as much as I wanted to watch. I actually kind of almost wanted to watch all these films, but I didn't. Yeah, um, same. <laughs> um, but I got I got kind of into the flow with him, if I'm honest, and kind of just started mm. going, oh, I, I've just got it. I've just got into his wavelength, and I started just really yeah, enjoying he, his, his films. Like. 100%. I'm vibing with that. Yeah. I wanted to rewatch Tree of Life. That was one of the ones I didn't get to watch, and I didn't get to watch The New World either, which I really wanted to watch. But... um. Well, I, I like watched I said, his see, later ones. There's three versions of <laughs> New World, isn't there? Isn't there a director's cut of Tree of Life as well, or have I imagined that? Oh God, how can there not be a director's cut? What's the original? I'm it's, sure he's he works with the same editor though, doesn't he? Each time, it's always edited by Thingy Madoodle, <laughs> Billy Weber. <laughs> we'll get to this later, but I know that Badlands was. I think it was started. It was going to be edited by one person. Let me have a quick look. Uh, the film was going to be edited by Robert Estrin, but Malik okay. didn't like the first cut, and then he uh, he and himself and Billy Weber Billy uh, Weber recut yeah. the film. So I'm guessing yeah. it was since then that he um, he's just used him as his yeah. As his as I, I associate Billy Weber as Malik's editor. I don't know if he does all of them, like, but that's who I associate with with Malik anyway. Well, I mean, um, my first Malik film I ever saw was the Thin Red Line, and I just yeah. remember like seeing close-ups of snails and things like that, and I'm like, going, "What's what's what's, what's all this about on? then?" And like, <laughs> I was like an 80, 17, 18 year old going, "What what?" Like, I I the wasn't fuck? quite getting it. But yeah, I really like yeah. to rewatch it. That film was severely cut, wasn't it, or altered in post production? Yes. Like, there's there's char- yeah. there's actors in who were in that film as main characters, who were completely like somehow sliced out of the film like yeah he's he's kind of, of of all directors in the world he's like in that kind of um uh kind of kubrick kind of side that 
he just shoots and shoots and shoots and he'll make it he can probably pull out any type of film from what he makes really yeah um, true like kubrick i find quite cold though whereas i don't find malik cold oh no malik's not cold no he's not he really isn't actually he's he's is actually yeah that's that's kind of true he's almost like two they're two sides of each other um mm. i mean sh- should we get um, now we're talking about him should we get into mr malik because that's what we're doing this this week well i mean like, yeah um, i mean so which films did you watch this week other than obviously what we're talking about obviously badlands yeah so i watched um i first watched knight of cups uh which yeah. i'd heard was awful and I really liked it, <laughs> like properly, really just, how would you say, vibed with it? I just... So Night like, of Cups 30... is the one with Chris... Bale, Christian Bale. Bale, yeah. Yeah. And it's got Dan Harmon in it as well. Well, his voice is in it. And Dan Harmon's voices are unmistakable to me because of like Rick and Morty community and, and Harmon Town. That I was kind of just like relaxing, watching my little Terence Malick essay on, I don't know what the fuck that film was about. And... uh like depression, I think. <laughs> and, uh, is that the one about he's a celebrity or something, or he's got like? Yes, he's a screenwriter, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, he it. just he's... feels like depressed by the world. Like he feels haunted by the death of his brother, yeah, and uh, kind of um, divorced from like the excesses of like Hollywood and stuff like that. And the film's kind of divided into eight chapters, and each one of them represents a tarot card. So it's like the moon. Okay. And, the tower and death and the hanged man and stuff like that like um that kind of each one of them is they, they, like the story doesn't necessarily flow to each chapter it's almost like there's a lot of jumping's the wrong word because it's not jumping but it's not it's not necessarily like just a kind of easy flowed easy flowed narrative throughout all of them it's kind of telling you about the topic almost in each one um okay. and you know it's Terence Malick, so at one point we'll just cut to like, I don't know, the birth of the universe or something and and then a yeah. star forming and a flower opening and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's it's Terence Malick. <laughs> it's what he does. <laughs> but I, I I don't know if it was the mood I was in or what, but I absolutely just absolutely just sank into it and enjoyed what really, really enjoyed watching it. And I can understand any, so, if anyone tells me they've watched it and they find it boring and they couldn't even get through it, I would agree. You know, like I couldn't disagree. I, I know it's there, but I really just just sank into it. See, for some reason, we like because we saw um, Tree of Life together with some friends, and yeah. I really like Tree of Life. And do you remember we had drinks afterwards, and uh, yeah. our friend's girlfriend just told me I was wrong for liking the film, and I was like, she "How was... am I wrong for liking it?" Uh, she was so like, angry. She was so like, angry. Why, with I, you? why are you like, angry for me liking a film? She was like, but and anyway. she wouldn't drop it. And you, you you didn't really want to defend yourself, I remember, because you were just like, yes. oh, I enjoyed it. I liked sitting there watching it. And she was like, but then the dinosaurs yeah. appear. And you were like, yeah, I thought it was cool. <laughs> like, like, it was so just, I liked it. I don't know. You know, she was saying about you. that years later, she brought it up to me. I don't think Did I've ever said that to you. Or... Years later, she no, mentioned it to me about God. And he like he, he liked that film. And I'm like, really? You're still holding on to this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she hit thought it. I, I mean, I. Maybe she thought it was misogynistic or something in one way. I mean, I can't remember. I, it's been that long since I've seen Tree of Life. I can't really remember. That's why I wanted but, to rewatch um... it. I just remember Brad Pitt and Sean Penn staring at the desert and then uh, like an amoeba crawls out of a lake and then a dinosaur dies. And 
then I just time remember a long shot kids and... kids playing kickball and it's just their shadows for like ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. And stuff like that. But um yeah, and then because I like that film even though I can't really remember much about it because it was a decade <laughs> ago. I watched uh, To the Wonder the one okay, with cool. um, Ben Affleck. That's I the mean, one I did watch. I saw that ages ago. It's a bit long. I saw that when it came out and um I found that one quite hard to get through and it was a bit like had lots of like whisperings of people going, where, yeah. oh, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. why? Sure. And it's a, like, sure. I never, I don't, his work, I reckon to some people, could, could be considered pretentious, but I yes, actually don't think absolutely. it's pretentious. Yeah, that I film, kind of though, agree. I do think is pretentious. Yeah. To the wonder, I he, find pretentious. That's, and then that put me off watching the one you watched this week, but I, yeah. I do need to go, I do need to watch it. Again, I mean, to, like, Night of Cups is a manic film, so it has got, like, Christian Bale whispering, you know, while, while we yeah. look at, like, Natalie Portman for a while and stuff like that. It, it has all that in, but um, I don't know. You either get with it or don't, I guess. But then I watched, um, also, I watched um, Voyage of Time, which is his kind of, like, his IMAX kind of uh, documentary about the birth and life of the universe. Um, and it's... It's basically like, you know, when you go to art museums or you go to a museum and, you, and you're going around the exhibits and then you go to a little cornered off room and they're, they're showing a, a film video. and there's some like soft yeah. seats to sit on. It's like the best one of those that's ever going to exist. That's what this film is. And um, okay. again, I was just in the mood and I sat back and watched Terence Malick tell me about the life and death of the universe. Like, and yeah, I so, really loved it. You know the dinosaur <laughs> sequence in um, Tree, of, Tree Life. of Life? Yeah. Because was it, was it? If you're gonna ask me why it's there, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure he was working on a Voyage of Time or a film like that for a long time, and the dinosaurs Probably. were part of that film. And then he took yeah, dinosaurs are in Voyage of Time, yeah. Yeah, and then he took that out and put it into Tree of Life. Okay, okay, but, um, that makes sense. Because I watched um, uh, Days of Heaven cool. this week, and oh man, I. I I loved that film. I thought it was yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's fantastic. Like it just like it says a lot without saying much at all. And I think yeah. you could say that about all Malik's films because the dialogue's probably. This is going to sound bad to say it's not important, but it, it is important because it's great dialogue. But it's yes. not like verbose. He's less. Like over he's the, definitely less interested in you picking up all the dialogue. He's yeah. definitely more concerned with you taking in the film than absolutely listening to everything they say definitely yeah, uh, yeah but, Days of Heaven is obviously it was 1978 and it's uh, it's Richard Gere isn't it And um, yeah I'm not sure how I feel about Rick Richard Adams. Gere I know some people really really like him I don't think I've um, seen uh, enough of yeah. Richard Gere He's for okay. me Richard Gere <laughs> was the 90s um, rom-com yeah. guy totally so I always see him leaning against someone I always think actually I think of him a lot for legal dramas uh, that's what I always think about him like a legal yeah, I drama. Guess so. Yeah. Don't know. He's always a lawyer. Yeah. But um, I see him as a lawyer, man in a suit. <laughs> I know Mark Commode's a big fan of him. He always talks he about is. Richard he, Gere. Yeah, Mark Commode is a big fan of um, him. Richard Gere's accent in this film, I thought, because his sister in A Days of Heaven, her accent is like really thick. Mm. And Richard Gere's obviously trying to put on this kind of accent as well. I don't think it quite works. Yeah, that's fine. it's a lot more subtle than her. The thing I, I like, because you know his sister, obviously his sister narrates that film. I found it annoying, but at the same time, I found it very genuine. 
it's I. So I still really like it. Was annoying at the same, but because her voice is kind of, it's got this weird cadence to it, and it's very thick, kind of strange accent. I don't. What is it like a New York kind of accent or? I think isn't it meant to be is, Panhandle, Texas? Isn't it meant to be that? Isn't is that what it is? Real, I mean, I couldn't. Yeah. Because like I know a really, that she really rural accent. Because she was in. Um, uh, she was in Gummo as well, the sister, like obviously a bit later on in life. But she's now retired, I know that. I can't remember. So is that Brooke Adams you're on about? No, it's the one who plays his sister, which is Linda Manns. That's the one, yeah. So yeah, the plot of that film is Richard Gere works in kind of like what, a steel mill or a factory or something like that. Yeah, it's um it's a no, it's something really specific. It's like a kind of like um Oh, it's like um yeah, steel mill. Sorry, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Hello. And then he he somehow punches a guy. One punch. One punch oh, kill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee's yeah, one punch Matt. Yeah, and then uh, goes on the run for some reason. I can't remember what reason why, but he's he says that his girlfriend is his sister. Mm. And then while he's working on a farm, like doing the crops with all like the all the other workers, the the farmer, the owner of the land, takes a liking to his girlfriend. They hatch a plot to kind of for her to marry him, and then because they find out he's going to die or he's he's of ill health. Yes, yeah, once he's died, yeah. she inherits everything, and uh, they'll they'll live like kings and queens in this this uh, farm. But um, yeah, it all goes tits up. Like locusts come take over the fields. That yeah. fire scene was incredible. Like I was gonna say, I, yeah, the I, massive fire scene. Yeah, I don't know how. I I know how you film fire scenes like in a controlled environment. How the fuck you control a fire in a field? I have no idea. Like, Is it possible that, they just didn't? It wasn't controlled. <laughs> well, I mean, go. We'll get to this later on with Badlands, but yeah, I can imagine that some of it was uh, probably done a bit. I don't know. A bit dodgily, but um, a bit is that dodgily, a word? Yeah. dodgily. I don't think it is. Yeah, dodgily. why not? Dodgily. Some you know, when you say a word too many times, you're like dodgily, 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 dodgily. <laughs> um, but like in that scene, you've got horses right next to it. You've got dogs jumping over yes. it. And then, like again, spoilers if you haven't seen this, the guy like obviously finds out the plot, the plot, and goes to kill Richard Gear. Richard Gear, like yeah. this guy's got a gun. Richard Gear just stabs him. <laughs> It's a screwdriver, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And then he goes on the run, which that end sequence kind of reminded me a bit of Badlands then when they kind of run away and they're kind of like making their little den in the kind of... I remember the train in that film. They'd hop on a train, don't they, with tons of soldiers or something. like. That's it, yeah. But there's also a weird bit where the circus just turns up at the farm. I can't remember why or how or what reason. And then he runs away with this. Like, I was like, where is Richard Gere? And then I forgot he got on the one of the planes with the with the circus folk and then somehow gets a sidecar and drives back like about 10 minutes later. Yeah, why not? Sounds good to me. Yeah. That's a, that's a plot. And then there's, a plot. there's a cool, like, little shootout scene at the end and stuff like that. Um, but again, like all, like all my next films, like, just beautifully shot. Just, yeah, beautiful. Just stunning. Apparently, they shot pretty much every day they just shot for 20 20 to 30 minutes every day during magic hour that's why everything is just that golden look and so magic hour is basically dawn and dusk isn't it 
so just as the sun's going down yeah so you've probably got 20 to 30 minutes either side of the day <laughs> god imagine like that is a that is a chore but it has like like i just love his attention to detail just like he'll just cut to crops and then i don't know just bugs and stuff and then there's one where it's you see like the um the crop gestating yeah like in in like time lapse stop motion it's like it's just a great texture just to have in there textures just like, a, like textures absolutely the word just, yeah yeah it's um i think it's almost like lyricism it's like lyrical as well it's kind of yeah it's visually poetic isn't it it's yeah. it's why like people get annoyed with him because he makes like quote unquote art films um because they do that in him because they do like this yeah. kind of visual lyric lyricism that's a really good like description that he had um in the middle of the film but it works what i think we could should say about malik because like badlands is his first film 1973 it's and insane. he was like, he, he wasn't even 30 or he was like 30 like he was like 30 or something it's like oh. dude dude he, he hadn't even graduated film school i know <laughs> he's he in his second, second year. Year film school <laughs> and um then he does Days of Heaven in seventy eight or seventy nines, and th- then yeah. then he doesn't do another film for twenty years. Like that's like insane. Like but he just disappears. Reason, like, no, I don't think anyone knows because flop or what? I don't think anyone knows. I think, and I've always had it sold to me as like he does these two kind of standard films, disappears, and comes back with like what we appreciate as Malik films. These more like yeah. dialogue less arty kind of film, but watching these two films in seventies ones, they're all there. All this thing that people yeah. call that like a later Malik stuff is all in these baked into these films. It's like it's not a different. It's not a different director. He didn't come back as a different thing. He's still doing it right in the seventies. So I don't really I think understand. He just, he just doubles down. Like one, the, yeah. the time length. Like these films, these two seventies films are like ninety minutes each, which for me is oh, the perfect length for perfect. a film. Like if yeah, someone yeah, says yeah, to yeah. me, "It's a ninety minute film," like sign me up, I'm watching so, that yep. film. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, totally. No matter what it is, I'll watch it. Yeah. Um, but like, is Tree of Life a near three hour film? I can't remember. I know it's a long one. Yeah, Tree of Life is but, um, a long film. Uh, um, Thin Red Lines a long film. New Worlds a, a long film. Like he, he definitely sinks into yeah. this kind of length stuff. Yeah. So Thin Red Line is 170 minutes. Um, New World. Well, there's several versions of that. Yeah. I know that's quite a lengthy one. Tree of Life is oh yeah. The, so the theatrical cut was 140 minutes, and the extended cut is 188 minutes. Sure. And then um, to the wonder. Hundred and thirty. Well, yeah. so that's a bit more accessible. Yeah. But um yeah, so I wonder why he decided to go from this kind of like quite concise tight that ninety minutes then just to kind of go and let's double it. It's weird, isn't it? And um it's it's almost like he did what he wanted to do and then went away to reevaluate what he wants to do and came back doing I do these, you know. Maybe he's overcompensating for the twenty year hiatus, maybe. Yeah. Well, he is because that's the stupid thing. He takes like in in twenty years, he makes three films, and then and then he comes back in the two thousands. Bang, bang, bang! It's like have some films. Like I, I make films all the time now, and it's just so weird yeah. that's like because well, what two thousand eleven Tree of Life, two thousand twelve to to the Wonder, two thousand fifteen Nights of Cups, two thousand sixteen Voyage of Time, two thousand seventeen Song to Song, and then last year twenty nineteen A Hidden Life, which we'll talk about Hidden Life yeah. in a bit. But that kind of run, 
of just bang 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 putting out these films that are just like like malicky films you know like these these kind of like essays on transcendence and 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 depression and the kind of like poetic imagery those kind of films just bang 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 throughout like it's almost like he stored them up for that amount of time and just went right have some films but then um yeah last year the hit a hidden life which i i wanted to get to watch and i haven't got to watch it but i will watch it before next week is it's meant to be um much different uh it's like an epic historical drama again like you know like badlands like days of glory and it's about world war Two, i believe it is um and it's meant to be a lot more um you know narratively driven i'm sure it's still malicky but it's meant to, it's not meant to be these kind of like wispy kind of films that you like like to knights of cups and stuff like that so i'm really interested right. to watch it really interested and yep okay so a- should what sh- should we get into the year then that we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, so, uh... I mean, 1973 is what we're doing, isn't it? So, um, yeah, interesting year. I mean, the the big film compared to, like, Badlands really is Mean Streets. So you get Scorsese score, 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 coming through. Um, yeah, because it wasn't, um, I think, Badlands and Mean Streets were, like, in the same kind of, like film festival circuit weren't they going yeah. around and i think, I think they got everyone together, yeah. thought that mean streets was going to be the the one to win everything but then i think yeah. i think badlands was the one that everybody was always talking about yeah but mean but, streets was more commercially successful I yeah think. yeah well i mean look um, at the career that i mean i'm not saying that uh terence malik has had a bad career because he's a fantastic career but you know martin scorsese's career is like yeah he's I mean, it's unparalleled he's like he's up there with like you know if there's Any a Mount Rushmore of filmmakers, yeah, his head exactly. is on it. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's absolutely no doubt. So yeah. he gets his break now with Mean Streets, which a um, great film. You know, and Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel. Um, kind of a bit... It's You know, it's a mob film because it's Scorsese. He does mob films really well. Yeah. But, um, and they come... Did Scorsese start in the... Um, with... Um, what's his name? Oh god, the guy who made Shop of Horrors. Corman. Yeah, did he start with Corman doing any work with Corman or have I completely made that up? I don't if he did, I don't know that. I'll I didn't know if that, he like right? started like yeah, I know like Joe it's... Dante did and stuff like that. I didn't know mm. if he was at any at any point cuz he did uh, what was Boxcar Bertha? What was that one? Didn't he like Wasn't that like a you're gonna test me on my early, uh, my early Scorsese that I don't know very well. Yes, Boxcar Bertha was produced by Roger Corman. Huh. So yeah, there that we which go. was from the, the previous year, which may have okay, been his directorial so, debut. So that was his debut then. It wasn't at Mean Streets. Yeah, but I mean, Boxcar it's a, Bertha, it was. Yeah. A, I mean, I've not seen it to be honest. It's, I should, probably should actually. No, but anyway, I didn't like Enter the Dragon came out, which was his, yeah, which yeah. was we talked about Bruce Lee's last, last film. Yeah, how crazy that his second was it his second film, Fist of Fury? Yeah, basically, like after Big yeah. Boss, and then his last film was the the year after. That's yeah. just it's such a flash in the pan. I know, but what a flash though! Like, yeah, what a flash! It's but it's it's still burning bright now, it's still burning. Burn. It's like one of those, it's like a yeah. star, it like, <laughs> yeah, it makes, know, yeah, it's a super, we, supernova, didn't it? Like. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what um, else came out this year? It's quite interesting. This year you start getting because 
one thing the 70s is kind of famous for is I think would is this rise of sci-fi really throughout the 70s um yeah. which you know culminates really kind of in a Star Wars film um and you start getting some elements of that this year because you get Westworld come out in in this yeah. year and I think you don't you get the first John Carpenter film this year or is that next year that might be next year um it Dark Star that's Dark Star isn't it yeah, that was like a student film, you know. That was nuts. <laughs> a lot of but, like um, indie films kind of somehow be- became massive. I don't know if that's a case of like there's less competition, like because now mm. everybody's got a camera and can make a film, whereas back then it was a lot harder to make a film. So if you made a film, it's kind of it's going to make a bit more of an impact, I think. But, uh, impact, not saying that, yeah. you know, because a lot of these films are great though. So I'm not like. Um, you just get this not, kind of independent like in independence the wrong word maybe but you just get this spirit of youth coming through the 70s in yeah. filmmaking and Malik's part of that really um oh yeah well, he definitely is, like but Scorsese and you know Lucas does American Graffiti this year um yeah. and you also get um The Exorcist this year uh, yeah Billy Freakin um, Mr Freakin yeah um The Exorcist is I don't know one of the best films ever made it's yeah well, should have won the Oscar. You, you, you know what won the Oscar for this year? No, I have no idea. Don't uh, It's The Sting. Was it which, Sting? Yeah, one of the weirdest Oscar winners. Sting's not a bad film. It's just like, yeah, you know, we got some briefcases and we got a nice hat and some to music and it's all jolly and fun. Like, but The Sting's just like, it's two swindlers. You got like, um, what's, you got Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Um, and they're just like, two cool guys in coats and hats and they swap briefcases and there's all like jazz music everywhere and they have like nice pictures that pop up and tell you like the con and the the man and the mark and and it's all like everything's set up and there's like fake walls and fake offices and stuff like that it's just a con man film but you had Soylent Green and what is Soylent Green made of Liam? Um, People? It's people. It's made of people. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do a good uh, Charlton Heston. Silent Creed. I always loved the poster for that, and it was like dumper truck with like yeah, with the people in it. Or a digger with just loads of bodies like hanging. Loads of bodies in it. Yeah. What a funny film. That's a a, like a horror (laughs) drama that like they're just turning people into food to feed everyone else. What? That's a that's a yeah. That's a film. (laughs) That's a. a I tell you what. A film we should both watch that came out this year, which is um, it's directed by Peter Bogdanovich. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Paper Moon. Oh, okay, I've heard of it and not seen it. Like that is like my my mom and dad's like one of their favourite films of all time. Okay. Yeah. But you get yeah because I was saying about The Exorcist, you actually get a lot of folk horror coming out this year. The Exorcist is a folk horror oh. film, but I think people forget oh, yeah, that yeah. about it. But um, you, then you get like uh, Wicker Man comes out in this year as oh, well yeah. which Wicker Man is wonderful like a wonderful English yeah. like folk horror film but you also get um, High Plains Drifter as well which is a very fucking weird film where yeah, Clint yeah, Eastwood's Clint kind Eastwood, of yeah. playing death kind of kind of um, um, and he's not the hero in it really even though he's the kind of protagonist but it's a well worth a watch, High Plains Drifter. It's it's probably Clint Eastwood's best kind of cowboy film, I think. At least I would think yeah. it is anyway. But you get, you've also uh, got a, you've got Don't Look Now as well. Yeah, sure. Another one. 
just going to turn my video off just because it was lagging a bit. So okay. I don't know if, uh... But you got like, um, uh, in terms of just bash through some other films, I love The Last Detail that comes out this year, Jack Nicholson film. Oh, I remember we, we watched that together. Like, I think we did, yeah. There, like three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, probably. I've seen it quite. It's one of the films I show people actually when I get a bit too drunk. Um, but well, I always remembered the poster, and it was like of yeah. Um, he's got a cigar, Connery, he? like topless. Yeah, he's like with a sailor like, hat on. His sailor tattoo and his hat on and a cigar <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And I was like, "What is this film?" And then you watch the film, and it's kind of like the poster doesn't really sell the film. Doesn't at all, does it? No, it's a really good film. It's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson performances actually as well. And it's it isn't it? Yeah. He's he's going to be put to death. For an, or going to prison or something. He's an offender in the navy, and they have to transport him across country. I think is, is yeah. Or or is it Randy Quaid? No, it's Randy Quaid. It's isn't Randy it? Quaid. Yeah. Yeah. Who the, who's the offender? Like, um, I'm not sure what he did. I don't know if that's ever said in the film. I can't remember. It's been that long. It's since been I've too seen. long for me, but it's I absolutely recommend. I really love that film. The same with the Lost Long Goodbye as well. Uh, Robert Altman film for this year is is uh, one of my favourite seventies films. Elliot Gould, um, yeah, just absolutely worth watching. The cat scene alone for the intro of that film is one of the best things. <laughs> just watch the to cat be fair, sequence. It's a pretty great year for films, to be mm-hmm. honest. And so you know, you've also got Pat Garrity and Billy the Kids and Serpico okay. as well. Serpico, yeah, sure. God, that's a yeah. great film. Al, Al Pacino, yeah, when he's um, yeah, yeah. I guess, and one more before we move on is. Robin Hood comes out this year, the Disney Robin Hood. <laughs> the Disney one, yeah, yeah. Is it? Is that the best Disney film of this era, like classic era? Do you, do you call well, the 70s era, Disney what... classic? I don't know how you split them up. Well, you've kind of got like the, I'd say like Snow White. Well, I always base it on the techniques. So okay. I think once you get to 101 Dalmatians, they kind of change their animation style, the way they... So the way you t- traditionally like animate something is you'll do a pencil drawing, then you'll ink over, then you'll put an acetate over that, ink it, turn it over, and paint it. Whereas I think for 101 Dalmatians, they developed a new technique where they could bypass the sketching stage or the inking stage, and they could just they could combine the sketch and the ink at the same time. So if you ever okay. look at the line work, it starts to look a lot scratchier. Especially okay. if you look at 101 Dalmatians, you can really tell. Yeah. So from like, say the mid sixties, that's, I kind of say from like the early to mid sixties, like jungle book, definitely. I don't, I don't consider classic. It's still a classic film, but I sure. don't consider it like. Yeah. So 101 Dalmatians, like, you got kind of like 101 sword in the stone, jungle book, Aristocats. Yeah, like, Robin Hood. If you look at the line work in those films, they're radically different to how they were in the old. In like films. Sleeping Beauty and Lay the uh, Tramp and Peter Pan yeah. and stuff and Dumbo. Yeah, sure. Like those are all very, like they still look amazing. I um, can't, I can't exactly verbalize it. When, when do you think that little era changes? Is it? It's a must be around probably kind when, of Black Cauldron. Then it's probably when Walt Disney dies and they kind of reorganize the studio, like to kind of make to cut to cut the budgets on the films down to be honest well do you think because i think so they're faster to produce and stuff like that because at the time you're probably getting a a disney film every couple of years whereas they probably wanted to be like okay we're going to release a disney film every year now yeah that definitely happens in the 80s it's it increases a little bit because you get kind of but the 80s is a slowdown as well it's because after um what's his face leaves black cauldron was like a massive um 
first. Oh, Don Bluth, you mean? Don Bluth, yeah, because he kind of leaves and he actually yeah, becomes their first real competition in, in any animation. Well, yeah, because he leaves and sets up his own com- yeah. company in Ireland. Don, well, just Don Bluth Productions or whatever, and then he partners with Spielberg. Yes. And yeah. then they make like five or goes. Yeah, West, five or five Anastasia. Movies, the, yeah. The, what's the dinosaur ones? Um, Land Before Time. Yeah, all yeah. dogs go to heaven. All yeah, those and kind of films. Uh, uh, Secret of Nim as well, I think. Yeah, and um, uh, you'll find a lot of amazing animators come from Ireland, and that's all because of Don Bluth. Don Bluth, like cool. his yeah, his studio, like training people up and stuff like that. And then it isn't. It's yeah. kind of so you get the slowdown the eighties. Then you kind of Beauty and the Beast. They get that Oscar nom for it, and that kind of becomes their almost focus for that those next few years is trying to kind of nail another Oscar nom really. To do those high, oh, yeah. high quality kind of. Well, they call that the Renaissance years, don't they? Yeah. So, like, so from uh, Little Mermaid to, I don't know if Pocahontas is considered or. or I like think I would. I'd con- I'd go all the way to kind of Tarzan probably, and then Emperor yeah, or Emperor's so. New Groove maybe. That's a great film. It is. I it's really a wonderful film. film. Yeah, I love Emperor's New Groove because then you got like, the two uh, thousands go a bit. Uh, then but yeah i actually tell you what give treasure planet another uh, another go i really like that film well i have to i've never seen atlantis or treasure planet so i can't actually tell you anything about them but i atlantis i've seen i can't really remember much about other than michael j fox voices the main character sure but um but treasure planet is really good i really did like that film but th- my problem was when they started to mix too much cgi with it and yeah I'm like, yeah yeah I'm I'm kind of like pick your battles, decide what you kind of. <laughs> well, Tangled to, Tangled has do. a lot of CGI in it, and so does Frozen. So is that just what they do now? Well, Tangled and Frozen are just they are just 100% CGI, CGI aren't they? Yeah, that's that's what they are. I mean, the last 2D film they did, I think 2D 2D, uh, was um, Princess, Princess and, and the Frog. Frog. Yeah, which I think they got quite a bit of backlash over. I think maybe. Much maybe being boring, the- if I'm honest. Well, I think the big problem with that was that you know they were like, "Oh, it's our first." Um, oh, they black sold it Disney on a princess. Yeah, they did, didn't they? And then the princess then is a green flog for majority of the film. <laughs> yeah, so, <good> point. <laughs> but it does have some wonderful songs, and it's got one of their best villains by um, Keith David plays the, the main villain. He's re- he's actually quite a scary, menacing villain in that. He film. plays kind of like a Baron Samady type character, doesn't he? If I remember, yeah, correctly. a bit like a shaman kind yeah. of thing. Which I guess you could be saying is that again. That might be, yeah, yeah. And it was it was directed by two white guys uh, ah, th- that did. Um, it was by the guys who did Aladdin and Little Mermaid. Uh, oh yeah, what something Clements and yeah, uh, I've forgotten the other. Yeah, anyway. those kind of those Disney kind of safe hands. Like kind of people, was it Clements yeah, and Musker? Like, Is it yeah, Clements and Musker? Yeah. And then you get because there's two kind of bands working at that time, isn't it? Because the people that did uh, Lion King and another kind of Alas and Minkoff, I think they were that. So they were working like side by side, weren't they? In different stuff. Lion King was in trouble though. The, like there's another film I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically oh, an identical plot to that. The one with the white lion. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember where we went on a Disney plot, but there we go. I think my thesis is I think Robin Hood's the best of that classical period. I think it's... Um, you might... I, I have a big soft spot for Sword in the Stone, personally. Like, that no, I do, one, too. Like, we didn't have many VHSs as a kid, but that was one of the ones we had, and yeah. I watched that film to death. Like, <laughs> so much. I definitely... Like, yeah. 
I, I like the rest of rescuers a lot um for 77 i used to watch that a lot but i like the rescuers down under as well because that's weird enough the only disney film that ever got a cinema sequel wasn't it the rescuers yeah i don't know why disney in the 90s when they started to do like their straight to vhs sequels like you know mm. so you got like three aladdins you got sequels to cinderella little mermaid yeah Pocahontas. like pretty much every film they did got a sequel didn't it <laughs> but it, they weren't theatrical they were just straight to vhs and i find that bizarre because now in today's world you've got frozen 2 which is the world's biggest the highest grossing animated film of all time yeah and wreck it ralph 2 probably did pretty well yeah and it was a um, toy story toy it was story toy story 2 that broke the mold for them wasn't it because um pixar refused to release toy story 2 as a director's video and they took it back from Disney and redid the film in a very short amount of time to make yeah, it like cinema six moves. Yeah. insane. Just something insane, yeah. Something that basically was illegal to work their animators that hard, frankly. Yeah. But um and then since then Disney were like, Oh, sequels. Yeah. Like we can release them on cinema. Why not? And now they're probably the biggest culprits of that. <laughs> oh, by far. And all they do is yeah. make sequels. They just buy properties and make sequels for them. That's all they do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, shall we get on to um, Badlands? Yeah, so this week we're, we've already talked a bit about Malik, but I'm sure it'll come up again. But um, this week we're talking about uh, his debut film, Badlands. He was 25 years old. He combed his hair like James Dean. He was very fastidious. People who littered bothered him. She was 15. She took music lessons and could twirl a baton. I'm kid. I'm not keeping you from anything important, am I? No. She wasn't very popular at school. For a while, they lived together in a treehouse. In 1959, they murdered a lot of people. Of course, I had to keep all this a secret from my dad. He would have had a fit since Kit was 10 years older than me and came from the wrong side of the track, so-called. I don't want you to hang around anymore. I don't want to see you again. Understand? Then, sure enough, Dad found out I'd been running around behind his back. He was madder than I'd ever seen him. He made me take extra music lessons every day after school and wait there till he came to pick me up. He said that if the piano didn't keep me off the streets, maybe the clarinet would. My girl Holly and I decided to kill ourselves. Same way I did her dad. Nobody's coming out of this thing happy, especially not us. I can't deny we've had fun, though. We hid out in the wilderness, down by a river in a grove of cottonwoods. It being the flood season, we built our house in the trees. We planned a huge network of tunnels under the forest floor, and our first order of business every morning was to decide on a new password. He gave me lectures on how a gun works, how to take it apart and put it back together again in case I had to carry on without him. He said that if the devil came at me, I could shoot him with a gun. Hey. Listen to your parents and teachers. They got a line on most things, so don't treat them like enemies. There's always an outside chance you can learn something. Try to keep an open mind. Try to understand the viewpoints of others. 
think I got them? I don't know. Well, I'm not going down there and look. Consider the minority opinion. But try to get along with the majority of opinion once it's accepted. Of course, Holly and I have had fun, even if it has been rushed. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. Excuse the grammar. Okay, Badlands. Badlands. So, uh, Badlands is, um, uh, as I say, director debut of Terrence Malick. It's got Mind Sheen and Sissy Spacek in it. And uh, its brief description is two lovers kind of go on a bit of a how do you they they it's going a crime spree across america is that kind of what goes on <laughs> i guess she's more so an accomplice really not yeah. a, not accomplice what's the like she's he's the one doing all the she's dragged along with it really more than anything else yeah, yeah, yeah. but i think it's a but, dramatization of Starkweather Fugate kill killings. Yeah, and then what's her name? Carol Ann Fugate. Yeah, so he's yeah. Charles Starkweather and Carol Ann Fugate. Yeah, which I think were quite infamous at the time because it was portrayed that she was the kind of mastermind to it. I think like uh, she was well, not mastermind, but that you know how they portray women in crime now and again. Like she was the evil girlfriend twisting him, and she was manipulating. What like that evil stuff. genius documentary on Netflix? Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. The, the the best dungaree man in the, the world. Guy. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> can have more stuff in the front of his dungarees. <laughs> Do you know, um, apparently, I think this couple are the same, you know, when the Frighteners? And yes. I think, I oh. think they're based on these guys as well. Okay. And the Frighteners Which does do make... that kind of, it's the lady actually that's the evil one. Yeah. yeah, and he wears dungarees. And he wears dungarees. It's the killer. It's, it's, it's the costume for um, all. Because he's Jake Busey, isn't he? And he's kind of got yeah. the kind of like quaffed. He's got the James Dean hair and all that kind of stuff. And he's got the Busey teeth. Yep. <laughs> what are we talking about? That's okay. <laughs> Badlands. Badlands. <laughs> so, a bit of background. We already talked a bit about Mr. Malik, but Mr. Malik. You know what? Malik, you know how like people don't know what he looks like do you know this about him yeah because he's quite a like a he's incredibly reclusive yeah reclusive yeah and do you remember like, a few I years ago picture him looking go on sorry i was gonna say i picture him looking a bit like um uh what's his name godfather dude um francis ford coppola yeah i kind of picture him looking yeah. like that but yeah i can what see that gonna say sorry that's right. I say because he doesn't go out in public much. He doesn't make much appearances. When he go, his films are at festivals. He doesn't tend to turn up. He's incredibly just reclusive as a character. And do you remember a few years ago, someone, a paparazzi, accidentally snapped a photo of him, and it was really big news on like Twitter. <laughs> and it, I think they were snapping a photo of an actor. It might have been Christian Bale. Might, I don't know. But they were trying to snap a photo of an actor and accidentally shot the person he was walking with. That was Terence Malick, and he then the photographer had no idea that he'd taken a photo of Terence Malick until it got out on the internet, and everyone was like, "That's <laughs> fucking Terence Malick! What the fuck? Like, Terence Malick exists as a human." <laughs> like, I wonder why he's so recluse. I don't know. I think he's. I don't know. He has a mystique about him, doesn't he? Really, like. But he. I was going to say because he he is in this film though. Um. He's in it. Yeah. You you know when they went the rich guy's house. Who they kind yeah. of they live in the they they lark around his house for a while and someone comes to his yeah. door with like plans like I had to meet him kind of thing 
Uh, oh, is this the, is that the bit where they talk about the um, epidemic? Where he's like, he's got, we've got the flu. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. an epidemic starting. I was like, oh. And he goes, well, he didn't have it yesterday. Yeah, well, it's come on overnight kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's Terence Malick in this film. Oh, okay. And I, I, weirdly enough, I recognised him and then and then searched around to find out. I was like, that, that looks like Terence Malick. So I looked and it is. He did a part thing. in his own film. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, he never, never, th- it wouldn't occur to me that he would have been, he would have done that. I don't know. No, I'm not he's sure he's ever like done a... it since. I think this might be the only time. He's not credited in the film as well. It's just people are like, oh. that's him. <laughs> that's this weird guy. I wish Quentin Tarantino took a leaf out of his book. Oh God, I wish most people did. <laughs> <laughs> It says here that the common conception that Malik is a recluse is inaccurate, so I apologise. But he's nevertheless famously protective of his private life. He contracts, stip- his contracts stipulate that his likeness may not be used for any promotional purposes, and he routinely declines any requests for interviews. Well, that's reclusive. I don't know why that's that's. <laughs> you can't say he's not reclusive make... then describe him being reclusive. I'm going to make a Terence Malick t-shirt and put it on Redbubble and see how quickly <laughs> it gets taken off. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah. I want, I want a Terence Malick t-shirt. Yeah, you know, like I've got those... Um, Are uh, you little sketches ones? Yeah, so I've got like a, a Stanley Kubrick one. I've got like mm. um, David Cronenberg and I've got uh, David Lynch. And I've also got Stanley... Did I say Stanley Kubrick? I can't remember. John Carpenter one. And they've kind of got like, and Spielberg, and they've kind of got like characters from their films like surrounding yeah. them. Yeah. I should make a Malik one of those. I want like... that. I want a Malik t-shirt. <laughs> I want it for the very fact that like no one will know <laughs> what this <laughs> yes. t-shirt is. <laughs> you got Richard Gere and you got like Christian Bale staring at some tarot cards and a dead dinosaur. <laughs> and... <laughs> and then like, I don't know. Um, who's in this film? Who's the guy in this film? Should... Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, yes. Have Martin Sheen and his James Deeney. He's most James Deeney. So um, yeah, I, I can't believe like this film. He did like a Sam Raimi and kind of like funded it through dentists and I know. Like, rich people. I know. I'd it... love to. Ha- I'd love to have that goal. Just be like, there you go. Do you want to? Uh... I mean, we should. I guess that we shouldn't mythologize him too much because he did also put like twenty five k of his own money into it. So he's not like he was coming from nothing. Oh, he must have had some pennies yeah. then if he's able he, to like drop exactly it back in like. If you can put twenty five k back in what seventy three, like yeah. would that be now? That's like what? Oh no, six million. I think it's six million. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've we learned we're not very good with money conversions. <laughs> no. It's about I think it's about twelve bob or whatever it was. <laughs> twelve bob. <laughs> but what were your what were your thoughts then of this film just overall? Oh my after, like... god, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I, I was. I think this might be my favorite one we've watched. Yeah. So far. Oh I god, think. it's wonderful. I was so just, I was absolutely just caught up in every second of it. I couldn't believe how good it was. Like. I couldn't believe it was a debut film by a guy who hasn't know, finished film just... school. It just, what the hell? <laughs> I know it's it's incredible. It's an absolute work of genius. It is the only the only downside I had to it was that, um, and this is probably a case of a lot of well, seventy like early seventies and predating that. It's just the sound mix is a bit muddy. Okay, sure. And I don't know. I don't know if that's the version I watched, but um, yeah. There, yeah, I, would I, agree found, with that. I found like some of um, some of the Machine's dialogue 
is hard to hear because he mumbles a lot in it and stuff. So. Yeah, maybe that's what Malik so was going to... for. Yeah, well, yeah. But, <laughs> but I like to hear them words, damn it. Yes, I, I feel like sometimes I have to get over it. Sometimes I'm, if I'm not hearing the words, I sometimes think I'm not getting it all. Whereas yeah, okay. sometimes I have to forget that's not always the intention of the filmmaker. Sure. Like, do you know what I mean? So, awesome. God, it was just like it was so. I didn't expect it to be so dreamy and fairy tale-y in oh yeah I in mean, the way like, it was presented. That. What I didn't think I was going to watch this when I knew I was watching a crime film about two people who go killing across America. I didn't expect it to be so just romantic. The wrong word, fairy tale. That's yeah, like oh, hundred percent. Like I, I'm surprised it's an eighteen. I know it's violent. Yeah. It's got like you know, but I, I don't know if it's more because I don't know if it glorifies it a bit. Maybe, maybe it's a but, bit um, passive of the killing, I guess. Which well, because he's the... kind of. So Kit, his character, he's kind of like, he doesn't feel any kind of, um, what am I trying to say? He's like, he's quite an impulsive guy. He's got no, um, yeah, he's uh, he doesn't feel any consequences of what he's doing. Yeah, it's constantly, yeah. I'm just looking for my notes, so I know I wrote that down somewhere. Yeah, he's like remorse, he's got no remorse, has he, for yeah, like any of the at all. killings? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into that later on, but. Um, it's just this kind of like, I don't know, this. But it's kind of got a childlike wonder to it, like yeah. you know, when they when they go and hide out, they build a fucking treehouse. Treehouse, and it's all and like wonderful. With, it's all a bit like the Lost Boys, like yeah, I wrote like Lost Boys, Peter Pan, yeah, where they like they've got like booby traps and yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. It's quite childish, you know. Yeah, like, do you know what I mean? And it's, it's yeah, it's just yeah. It's like but it's when very... I, this is my thesis of Malik is the same filmmaker in the seventies that he's later, not and it's not that he comes back as a different guy. Is like the speed in cars and like the car chases in this. They're not action. They're kind of like um, they have an emotion. They're they're like yeah. evocative of of the emotions of the characters. They're not. It's not like an action-packed race, and it's it kind of flows to scene to scene with this kind of little items in it that drag your attention away. Like you know, a pure white. Um, a pure white, I don't know, a pure white car or something, or a top or a, a, something like that, and it that kind of flows you into what they feel and what and how they are, and and. Well, I've got uh, this note. I put it's very detailed, but without being detailed. So, like, he'll kind of like he'll focus on a moment that has nothing to do with the film, but it has everything to do with the film. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I convert. Yeah. I don't know how to explain yeah. that, but like you're right though. You're absolutely yeah. right. I and think, like, for example, like it's set in the late fifties, but I don't think it dwells on it. No, to it the doesn't. Point that it hammers it no. home. And but and I'm also for, you, you've got to remember as well. It's only like twelve years prior for him to make this film. It was only set twelve years prior to making the film. That's the equivalent to us making a film set in two thousand and eight. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, but I, it doesn't. It's it, not. It feels like it avoids nostalgia because I think it feels like if you make it nostalgic, it will ruin the film. It feels like it just yeah. has to be set in this time period because it is set here, but it's not obsessed with being set in this time period. And It does have one little moment in it that I loved, and that's when he... I mean, we'll get to it again later on, but he um, he records the, the suicide note on the vinyl record player, and I was what like... What is that? that? What like, is that? That exists. What is that? Like, 
I remember there was a Tenacious D music video where they recorded a song in like a booth. And I yeah, that's a, um, directed by Liam Lynch. That's a um, tribute. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, so these things kind of exist, <laughs> and they recorded on vinyl. I was like, it was like, this? yeah, it's a little kind of vending machine that you put money into it, and then it rec- you can record something on some vinyl. And I was like, <laughs> that they didn't exist. Surely they didn't. <laughs> that weren't e- that weren't everywhere. Surely, I would know about this. Surely. So should we should we get into the plot? Yeah, we can do. Um. Hmm. So the opening scene is like it starts with like narration and it's her um Holly which is Sissy SpaceX character. She's yeah. um she's um sitting on a she's bed with her dog. With her massive dog. Yeah. And um you got that kind of uh music coming in. Um I just this is what from that first shot I got sold on this film because it was such a confident opening shot of like you know, just the, it was lit so well with like natural lighting coming in, no lighting in the house. The camera kind of swings round her as she's playing with her dog, and she's confidently talking the narration over that. It's no no sound in it, and I was just like, I couldn't believe how confident and just trusting this felt for an opening scene in in a directorial debut. It wasn't worried about not getting you or worried about losing you yeah, instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I instantly was like, "Oh, this, 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 this Malik guy—he knows what he wants." Like, in and that's remarkable, really. For how old he was, twenty-two or whatever. I don't know why, but for me, that room—it felt like a doll's like yes, room, like it in did. a dollhouse. And I think and it's I meant to though, because yeah. that was her previous life. So she—that's where she lived when her mom was alive, and. She's talking about the fact they had to move to Fort Dupree, which that she sells as like a shithole, basically. And I, I, I think the the film's about like she's quite young. He's young, but he's ten years older than her, so she's like fifteen and she he's twenty five. And it's about this kind of childhood, like like youth gone awry, like this that manifestation of this of these two young people just not having no morals going through. For going through and killing people and I think because it sets up of this childhood kind of innocence to her straight on and l- lets you know that it kind of without having a line of uh, some cops going oh these youths are killing everything it, te- it tells you that this is about these youthful characters just going off the deep end really and I think by yeah. starting that way it really nails that you get you feel it without it telling you it I swear I, Sorry, um, I might talk too much in this film. I liked it. No, too. that's fine. No, it's, it's a fantastic film. What was I going to say? I was going to say something. Uh, anyway, um, I really liked. Um, hey, what I was going to say was uh, apparently when they were right, like when he was auditioning for like the characters of uh, Kit and Holly, he, um, I think he was obviously interviewing like lots of young actors at the time. Sure, and he kind of paired paired different ones together and i think you just like improvise scenes with them and kind of like before, okay. this is before he even had a script so he kind of took a lot of influences by from the actors and apparently um when he decided on casting martin sheen as the because he I, I think he must have paired sissy space and martin sheen together yeah and um originally he was supposed to be 19 years old and i think he martin sheen got the script and was like this is the best script i've ever 
yeah. ever read. And it's, yeah. he says to this he day, it's still that. the best scripts he's ever had, he's ever written. And I think it's the best one Martin Sheen's in. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, we forgot to say welcome back to the podcast, Martin Sheen. After being in, welcome uh, back to the podcast. Yeah, he was in. Uh, he was the judge in. Oh um, God, yeah, in Dead President. Dead President. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he had those like, weird one scene, didn't he? I oh, bet he. I bet the, Martin Sheen in. In 1973, never thought he'd be in um, 1997 Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a pick from his filmography! Martin <laughs> Sheen's anyway, an odd um, one. Martin Sheen is an odd one. I know. Right? He. Um, <laughs> you can you know see why he got um, Apocalypse Now from this film, though. Like, oh yeah, massively. I think it's it's very much the similar sort of vein to it, and. You can definitely see him having this on a reel and them going, "Yep, that's that's our kind of that's the guy." Yeah, because I think I think at this point he was just on TV and stuff like that. Yeah, probably like soap operas and stuff like that. But anyway, he was like thir- in his early thirties when he made this film. And oh, is it? The okay. script originally was for a nineteen-year-old, and uh, he phoned up Terence Malick and said, "Look, I I love this script, but I think if I was to play this part for you, I'd ruin it because it would ruin the honesty for it." And he said, "Sure, well." I've just, I've rewritten it that your character's twenty five now. You're right with that, and he's like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll I could do twenty five. Oh, no, I could do twenty five. <laughs> he's um, yeah, he's great. He's great in this. He looks like he's fantastic. I have to say, he looks oh, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Those, in it. those shoes he wears and like the den, the double den. Yeah, just the kind of James Deany white, like tight white t shirt. His hair, he just he looks wonderful. Like I don't think of Martin Sheen as looking like that. I always think of Martin Sheen as the old president, you know, or something like Yes. <laughs> like um, I like I like how I mean I know they talk about James they mention James Dean later on in the film. Yeah. Well, but and obviously his character's trying to be that kind of cool guy, the kind of, you know Yeah, I think I think Charles Starkweather, who's the guy it's based on, was described as James Deany looking, I think. Yeah. So, but like, they never had to kind of explain that to the audience. Really. No, like, he's no. Just a, you know, he's just this l- cool, charismatic, disarming kind of guy who yeah. obviously has got a few screw loose. And you understand why Sissy Spacek's character Holly just gets infatuated by him. It's, it's oh, yeah. so easy to, so clear. You know, you don't need any kind of. There's some, there is narration, but you don't need her telling you that all the time. You go, of course she would. She's 15, and this guy is like, you know, gorgeous and and interested in her and talks to her and and really charming and and disarming in that way like it it's all played out for you in but like his intro scene is is brilliant where he's like he's on the garbage run yeah yeah and like you know they're, they're pulling things out like the boots and he's trying to flog them to someone he sees yeah. like on his round he's trying <laughs> to sell know? them isn't he like yeah you know he's obviously looking in the trash and he sees this woman's like debts and knows that you know he's probably read previous letters of like you know from the bank of hers and yeah. stuff like that and, like he's obviously got to know the people on his route without actually knowing them and stuff. yeah i don't understand how he he's just like i've done enough trash humping for the rest for this day i'm giving up now like that's not how it works yeah. yeah i love that bit he gets a ball and he throws it to the dog and it's the worst one yeah. i've ever seen to a dog it goes nowhere near the dog it barely makes it over the fence and the dog like <laughs> looks at it like what what do you would you well, want? I me... thought it was an apple. I thought it was like a rotten well, apple. Maybe it is an apple. He definitely throws something at a dog anyway. Yeah. And I was like, that is a bad throw, Martin. I was gonna say about Martin <laughs> Sheen as well. Didn't you think he looked like Emilio Estevez in this? 
Well, he looked like Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen if you just like kind of merge them together a bit. them together, yeah. Who you know they're but both in they're, this as well. Yeah, they're the little kids that are just kids, sitting yeah. on the sidewalk, aren't they? Which, well, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is when um, so the garbage stuff comes in, and that's when this fucking music comes into this fucking film, and my brain explodes. Because well, I uh, always thought it was from True Romance. Me too. Me too. <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, Karl Orff, uh, Gassenhauer is the track. Yeah, yeah, I've got it, yeah. And it's um, a glockenspiel track. Um, so it's quite old. <laughs> yeah, it is quite old. It's wonderful. And the way it's like the glockenspiel is that airy instrument. You know, everything sounds airy to it and, yeah. and kind of echoey. It, it fits this film so well because Terrence Malick films are airy. Like Terrence Malick films don't push you to the next scene. They let everything just breeze through. Like and the fact that the music has this kind of breezy kind of feeling to it as well, just works so well for this film. That's and I, the one thing I forgot to mention about Days of Heaven, the music in that is incredible. Mm. And like, I think that's just oh, oh my cat's just coming around. Hello. Hi, but cat. that's like, uh, but that's like all of his films. So I've now learned that when Hans Zimmer used this music in True Romance, it was a reference to Badlands. That's oh yeah, what, because that's this, what that I learned. film is. Well, that film is very much... Yeah, it is. Like, it's the same thing, isn't it? And like, also, also Wild at Heart. I've got a lot of Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah, it well. does. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know he doesn't... Like, in True Romance, I think uh, Christian Bale's kind of... He doesn't go on a murderous killing spree. He just mur- he just kills, like, the pimp, doesn't he? I yeah, think, he killed, yeah. I remember. And then in Wild at Heart... He just kills the guy who's trying to kill him at the beginning. Yeah, and he doesn't re- he doesn't go on a killing spree, does he? But, um, but anyway, sorry, Badlands. <laughs> but yeah, that the music <laughs> came in that. I wish I could imitate it, but I can't. But it's that kind of. <laughs> I've, I've been listening to it in my head since then. I couldn't like, when it started playing. I was like, oh my god. And that's just the intro. That's all. That's how far we've got to the intro. <laughs> but I, I mean, just their their first interaction. She's like, you know, the throwing sticks. What yeah. Or like the batons, like twirling the batons, like yeah. showing that she's a kid still. Do you know what I mean? She's 15, totally. She's like fifteen years old. I wrote this as well. So, but like she, that her dress, the way she dresses changes from this this part of the film to when they're living in the treehouse. Like it's like in two scenes she ages in the way she presents herself she's still a, we know she's still a kid but she's not she's not wearing those kind of really childhoody dresses that she's wearing in these scenes and it's that vis- like I just found it that visual interpretation of what's going on with the characters without without her narration going and then I grew up that day it's just it's the way she's dressing and standing and her confidence is changing in because suddenly her world's becoming a lot more complicated well, when she's at home, she's she wears the, you know those short shorts and like yeah, the little the short white shorts and the kind of frilly dresses to, and stuff. Yeah, frilly dress. Yeah, but um, but like Martin Sheen just wears the same yeah. clothes throughout the entire film, apart from when he wears the hat. And I was going to say he's obsessed with trying to jacket. find hats. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> he thinks it looks cool. I love this bit because Martin Sheen loses his job now, and why is he fired? It's never really explained why. I like. I don't even know why he's fired. I don't know. Probably because he walked off the job, like you said earlier. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, maybe. But... <laughs> because he decided the job was done. <laughs> I love... 
he goes to visit I don't know who this man is but I'm going to call him the apple man who and he's sitting on a log just carving an apple and yes Martin Sheen go like he's telling him that he lost his job and he's going to work as a cowboy and stuff like that and uh he, and the guy tells him to drop the keys off or whatever, and he drops them into like a puddle of oil, I think. I don't know. Yeah, he just throws them into the big you know, tank a, thing. Yeah. You know, puddle of oil lying, lying around. And they, um, as he walks off, the guy chucks his apple at Martin Sheen. <laughs> yes. Martin he Sheen gets turned, thrown a lot of things. Yeah, he turns like he around gets, like to have a fight. But like even when he like when he says, you know, he, dr- he finishes work for the day, like they throw rubbish at him as he's walking. Yeah. And, stuff like that. and then um, I love that he turns around to have a fight and the apple man goes, I got my dog here. Then Martin Sheen's like, okay, yeah, I can't fight the dog. And just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> so he's supposed to be a war veteran, isn't he? Martin Sheen's character. Martin, I believe so. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is he too young for that, though? Korea, yeah, he's a Korean war veteran. Oh, Korean war. I always forget the Korean war exists. <laughs> I also found out that Britain were part of the Korean war. Oh, doing update from our MASH episode. That wasn't an episode. Yes. That was a conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I've got a note here that says this film has good smoking. So I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those films that advocates smoking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It looks really cool. Like, it looks nice, refreshing. Like, I was going to say, it's not this one, but it's uh, but in Days of Heaven when I think they're on the train and I think the, the sister's ill on the train or not feeling well. And yes. They give her a drag on the cigarette. They give her a cigarette, yeah. To, yeah. yeah, why not? That'll cure you up. <laughs> cure you up. Cure you up. It's too late, Ollie. Um, so, so I guess from here on in, we see that they're kind of got like a little romance going on. Maybe yeah, it's hidden, like, isn't it? Um, she yeah. massively falls for him, and he's really charming, and and she has that voiceover when he he's like, "Well, he's not interested in sex; he's just interested in me." And you're like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's what you yeah, think." I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um. I love the scene where they've they've clearly had sex for the first time, and he's like, "I'm taking this rock as a memento." And he's got this massive, huge rock, <laughs> and then he just goes, "No, nah, I'll just get a smaller one." Just takes, yes. Throws the big one. This film is remarkably sp- funny, which I didn't expect as well, because I don't but associate ag- Malik with any comedy whatsoever. But I laughed quite a few but ag- times. But again, that's another childish thing I think that his character mm. does. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of taking like a little memento or something like that. Well, I liked this. Um, I, there was various things in the start of this film which I thought were incredibly smart. Um, it, the stuff like taking mementos, um, I think that's really that would that's kind of keying up the kind of serial killer kind of aspect of him, and the fact yeah. that he has to have tokens to stuff. But also, so like take, yeah. There's also a section here now with a lot of animal cruelty, um, both with her and him. Like he's working as a cowboy, he's comfortable with like the dead cows. He's stepping on the dead cows and stepping, stuff like that. Yeah, he doesn't care about them. He doesn't care that they're dead or anything like that. He's comfortable with just dead things around him. She's her catfish dies and she just chucks it, dying in the marrow yard. Um, there's a bit it's later a bit... on when there's another catfish just slowly dying on a kind of a table next to them, as well. Yeah, I found that really bizarre. Yeah. It's just like, where does that one come from? And I just, and I, and what I took from it is just kind of like the, it's like signposting that they're kind of, you know, psychopaths or whatever the term is. I'm not good with terms. Yeah. But like, we, I, you know, I know that this film's going to go into violence and it's telling me that these characters are prone to that because they, they aren't, you know, they're, they're missing something, you know. I mean, you know, 
then we find you know obviously the the dad disapproves of their relationship mm. and um i like the scenes that we see him fixing up the signs and stuff like that yeah because his dad's a sign painter isn't he which is apparently a job yeah. his dad's um <laughs> uh the dad's played by warren oates is that correct is that the guy's name yeah warren oates yeah who's a, at this point quite a veteran actor, quite a cowboy actor, I think, really. A lot of cowboy films in earlier stuff. I, For some reason, like, I, I kept thinking I've seen him in something, but I couldn't think what it was. Well, he's in Stripes. I, that, was, that was it. That's but, um, what I remember him from. He's, is he the... Um, he's the sergeant in it. Sergeant, the one yeah. they... Yes, yes. No, okay. No, it's all... He's in the Wild Bunch as well, I think. As well. Yeah, he is. He's, he, I think he's in Rounders. Oh no, no, maybe he's not. I can't remember. But he's in quite a lot well, of cowboy di- films. He... I've never seen a lot of cowboy films, so I don't know. He but... died in '82. He, yeah, like, you know, yeah, not long. But um, he, I couldn't get over this. I've written it in caps. He finds out that she has been dating him, so he shoots her dog. I know, like, that's what the fuck? not... <laughs> that's not, not okay. Not okay. That is not reasonable punishment for anything. It. I was like, like, what the fuck? Like, this is just, like... Like, serial killer 101 emotional trauma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was a, a... Yeah, that was a bit of a heartbreaker, that man. I was like, How, you know... You don't, the one the one rule in a film is you do not kill the dog. No, and we have these scenes of like catfish dying and dogs being shot and cows dying all in a row and stuff. And mm. <laughs> mm. but I found maybe like that's it, why it's got an eighteen. Sorry, go on. So maybe that's why it's got an eighteen certificate. Oh, it could be actually. It could be. I didn't look up. I, d- I never look up why it's got certificates or what they thought about it. But it's this, it's this point when I wrote this film's fucking confident and I can't believe it's the first film. I was just like, I can't believe how yeah. that he's doing this straight away. Did, I, I will say as well, I got part of my thesis, that, you know, he's the same film director. Like Kit and Holly at this point, they're kind of um, trapped together in in a way a lot of Malik characters are. Like Knight of Cups, I would say the same. You get these characters that are kind of trapped together and they, they only really vibe with each other and they don't vibe with stuff outside of them. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like they may even be the most closed off manic characters in the fact that they're just trapped in their world really more than anything else and now and again other people interact with their world normally for you know bad things happen to them but they're, they're kind of their own narrative their own take on the world their own kind of the way they view it the way they look out in the landscape the way they look at old photos and stuff like that they're, they're kind of now just trapped together and it's going to be like to tear them apart is going to be trauma and I felt that like that at this point of the film um, yeah so I'm trying to think so at this point now is this where so he's gone to see the dad like as he's painting a sign and asking you know he wants to be in a relationship with his daughter and he just like pretty much tells him you know stay away from her yeah and then is it that is the is the scene following that where he kind of just walks in oh no yeah because he kind of like enrolls her into doing like extracurricular activities doesn't he yes so they they can't be with each other so she's doing some sort of music lesson and he just somehow kit wanders into their house doesn't he yes yeah and starts kind of mooching around kit wanders into his house and he starts packing um her bags and yes then the dad finds him and he tells the dad that Holly's now coming with me. Holly's now mine and he's coming with me. So he shoots the dad, basically. 
Yes. That's the response. Um, but like, it's her response is, is very telling. Like, I know they've had a strained relationship, but you, again, this guy, either I don't know if this goes into what the mind of someone who is emotionally unstable or it's that kind of dreamlike quality where it kind of makes up its own rules mm. for the characters in the film. But like, I know she slaps him once for for killing a dad. Yeah. Because she kind of doesn't really understand at first, though, does she? she but that's, of, like... I think it's what, like I was saying before, I think this film sets up that she does have a problem dealing with like kind of reality and emotions. Yeah. And like she has, she lacks some sort of like kind of that empathy in her or something, a little bit. But it's also yeah. just, she feels, I think she just gets, she has nothing else in her life but this guy now. She's just isolated from this point, and so she's got no other option really. Yeah, other than there's no other option. Her mom died, her dad's now dead. Like, and this is the only guy, and he's a bit scary as well. So, um, it's almost like she's now just trapped in this, in this story, and she's not getting. She's you know she's not getting out of this. I think from now on. Um, and that's when, yeah, that's when he decides to burn the house down. And leave the little coin-operated vinyl record. <laughs> yeah, playing outside. Playing outside on a little... I don't know. I like when they leave, they decide to take the green lampshade lamp with them. Oh, yeah. But we're going to burn everything, but we're taking this. Apparently, though, when they did that fire on set, like uh, it was quite a troubled production, apparently, and a lot of people clashed with uh, Malik. Not surprised. And um, apparently, a lot of people got injured during that blaze because like an explosion wow. happened when they set wow. fire to the house and i guess because it was a low budget film probably you know self-funded independent yeah. it probably didn't have like you know the health and safety that i yeah you know a, a film probably would have nowadays well especially in the 70s i doubt there was much of that at yeah all. i doubt there was much even caring about it uh, well i mean you know only like what 10 years later they did the twilight zone movie and yeah. three of the main yeah. actors in one of the segments like you know Killed by a helicopter explosion. Which but anyway, that's another yeah. film. Anyway, I'm going to top up my drink so you can cut this bit out. Glug, 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 glug. Oh, I wish I bought another beer in. I'm doing it right next to the microphone <laughs> to be a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they burn down the house. He leaves a little vinyl recording and they run off to the woods to live their perfect little Robin Hood Prince of Thieves lives. <laughs> the tree house <laughs> <laughs> that did make me laugh though like they crafted that quite quickly yeah they, they apparently they've been thinking about building a full-on double-decker tree house thing with these little booby traps as well like his little kind of I kind ewok of booby bit, traps i kind of got a bit of yeah ewok <laughs> oh, oh man i want to do that now i want to like the CGI, like, stuff you can get <laughs> off YouTube of, like, ATSTs. I might just put some of those going around in the background. Um, I kind of... Did you ever see Beast of the Southern Wild? Uh, have I watched that film? Um, no, I haven't. No. I kind of got a bit of a vibe of that as well, because okay. they kind of, like, live in, like, like shanty town kind of, yeah. like, like, kind of, like, treehouse built kind of things. And yeah. Like, I mean, that film's a lot more fantastical than... But this, this is this section is fantastical but... though. This section is like True. it's like honeymoony kind of like they can live their perfect little life and no one will come bother them and they're in love and he's awful at fishing, which I loved. 
Yeah, that was quite funny. Like he can't, he keeps blaming her. He just her shoots it. And he starts just shooting her. <laughs> Still doesn't Which, kill anything. Which, to be honest, is what, that's probably what fucked them up because that guy looks at them and is like, yeah. hang on, what's going over there? Yeah, yeah, why is there a guy shooting into the river? And then several bounty hunters come in. Yeah. And he, he, and he does his little apocalypse now thing when he's hiding in like hiding under the underground, trap. yeah, and shoots them all. Did anyone get impaled by one of the traps though? I don't think you see that. No, I was quite upset that no one got impaled by his. <laughs> Dear Terence Malick, I'm very disappointed scene, that remi- the booby trap didn't impale anyone. <laughs> Please correct but me. This scene, this scene reminded me of the last scene in Days of Heaven. Okay, yeah, where, sure. Where he's yeah. running around with the shotgun and stuff, yeah. and they shoot him dead on the, in the, the river or the lake or whatever it is. This but, is yeah. the bit where this is the bit where she, she says a line which I've written down. One once while looking at some vistas in Dad's stereo stereopticon stereopticon. Oh yeah, it's a bit like one of those vision masters you had as a kid when you like fucking stereopticon. The seventies were a different time period <laughs> they were a different universe <laughs> so is it like she puts well, I was photos in my it and father's then... microfish do you remember microfish uh, i do remember microfish i'm very familiar <laughs> with microfish and not annoyingly it's part of the archaeology of life <laughs> but um yeah so this is the scene i love i loved her looking for the photos because they start just taking up the whole scene um, yes, I would wouldn't be surprised if he tried to do some actual kind of three um, Dness to the image to make it look depth of field kind of. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I don't know if the co- my copy would have you know would show anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if because she was meant to be looking them in this little stereo opticon thing, and it's meant to give depth to the photos that he might be doing the same thing because it's it's bordered like she's looking at it through her little her little machine, but it goes on forever. It's not like he doesn't just show you one image. It it, it shows you in multiple little t- little images that she's looking through and the narration's going through and it's it's telling you about what she's thinking and feeling right there. You know, she's looking at the couple. She's looking at the beautiful place to live. She's looking at them being left alone and stuff. And but I like I like this because you know you you because it's all like sepia tone pictures, yeah. isn't it? Like later on, there's a, like we'll get to it later on, but there's a whole sequence in sepia tone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, and um. And that those are all kind of framed like photos, almost like they're yeah, kind of they there's are. not much movement to it. But um, we'll we'll get to that a bit later on. I think this is what but, I found. Um, like this point when they're doing the wood, them live in the woods and stuff like that. It's just like Malik just feels so, feels so fully formed as a director here, and I just that thing that oh, shocked yeah. me. Just I, I I expected to have a rougher film for his debut. Not that I knew that it was meant to be a good film, but I just expected I didn't expect him to be so just just fully there as a filmmaker. I um, I have. I also have a feeling as well, like it was a low budget film. Yeah. You know, film is expensive. You have to know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think true. the the blessed the blessing and the curse that filmmakers like, you know, have now is that film is infinite now because yes. you just record it to a card and you just dump it and you can just shoot as much as you want. Like setting up is a lot quicker, you just mm. whack a card in and it's done. You don't have to it doesn't take ages to load the film and yeah. get it processed and all that. You're not closing so gates. I think, and... Yeah, so your your options are limited, but I think that means you're more focused. Yeah. And I think I that's think a benefit that's... of a lot of early filmmakers have like even clerks, okay, I know we've talked about it a lot, but like he could only get like one or two takes of each Sure. Scene. So it's quite more folk. Like, you know, I'm not even comparing Badlands to 
clerks it's like it's night and day like this is a film of a well i think you could compare it to genius. the 70s filmmaker really i mean george lucas star wars yes, shot a film and then and then since then yeah. the prequels he shoots it digital and it changes the way he approaches you know scenes and stuff no i think you're right i think film is limiting in a way that's good for art yeah because it forces you to make decisions rather than choose yeah. every decision which i think can happen might yeah, and you, then you just th- yeah you exactly. might even say it could happen to Malik if you if you don't like his later films, like yeah, so. yeah. Um, I think it's the it's the it's the curse and the yeah gift of digital filmmaking. John, you know I mean, it's, I'm with you for that. Like, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, so after they kill the intruders, um, that music building up to that scene we're shooting at was so eerie and so like yeah. suspenseful. Uh, they run off basically like they kind of realize they're never going to find peace so they run off and they first go to his friend Kato which I think was he a guy that was on the gar- in the on the garage on the on the garbage on the button, car. Really. yeah yeah first of all we have to say how awesome Kit's car is it's like fucking it's like the Batmobile <laughs> it's a wicked like black like matte black Cadillac yeah it? and it's it's awesome it's cool as fuck I it is it. yeah um I really liked the scene with Kato when they're sitting around and eating and she's telling a joke. Um, which I can't remember the joke now. But uh like Kato laughs in a way that is so over the top. Yeah, he's just kind of overcompensating. Like, yeah, and it kind of, just yeah. felt like basically he knows these people are murderers because we know that about because he, he, he ends up getting killed by them because he's going to turn them in. Um, but I felt it that he was so uncomfortable and scared that he took any opportunity in the dialogue to kind of like just break tension and like so he just he was over laughing and and over complimenting and stuff like that like because he's so like worried about it and I just love how I got that from the performance of it again it's, it's horrible he doesn't even give him the dignity of just killing him there and then like he shoots him in the yeah. stomach just to shoots let him, him in the like, stomach yeah die that, out Jeremy that scene is just. I thought this scene was kind of really funny in a horrific way. Because, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. when they, they drag him back to the house, and my favourite bit was, like... Well, I had a number of favourite bits, but Martin Sheen opens the door for him to let him in the house. He's got a load of shit in here or <laughs> yeah, something. Like, and then tells him off how messy and there's so much shit around him. And then um, <laughs> Sissy Spacer goes, like, um, is he upset? Did he say anything about it? And he's like, and he goes, like, oh, he didn't say anything about it to me. I think he's fine. And he's like, <laughs> like... He's not upset with me shooting him. He's fine. And then Sissy Spacek goes in to talk to him and goes, oh, is that your pet spider in there? <laughs> yeah, it's just like the dude's got a massive shotgun wound massive in the chest. Shot, yeah. stomach. Massive rifle, <laughs> but it, like... And then he's like, yeah, it's my pet the... spider. I feed, it, I, feed, I feed her flies. Like... <laughs> yeah, because he's in that state. He's probably like in a dazed kind of... Yeah, he's just, he's just blood confused. drenching out his face and yeah. like... And then, so two teenagers turn up, don't they? Yeah. I'm not sure what they're what are they doing there. They're going to they're coming to hang out with Kit, or... aren't they? Oh, or Kato, okay. sorry, not Kit. They're coming to hang out with the, the guy they just shot. Um, and, and like I think Kit's he's, an... he Kit kind of has it. He does it several times where he kind of like blags that he's someone else, and then just suddenly pulls a gun out on them. It's like why why try to do the ruse if you're just going to do that anyway? Yeah. He's so just overcompetent at this point, confident. Yeah. Sorry, like, he, and he's um, he's got a, with such a weird sense of menace to them. Like they're not scary because they're so like friendly, 
but because of that they're almost like naively terrifying it's it's like a toddler holding a gun at you and and you you know they don't mean to kill you but they're gonna press that trigger because it's the thing that moves on the gun um yeah and it just felt like that like it, it felt like you like there's no emotion to the shootings he just does it because you press the trigger on a gun that's what you do yeah it's like a yeah it's like a kid playing just playing shooting like i don't know like a a game outside like, yeah I'm trying, yeah no consequences and just no care in the world really just kind of it's like a guy that he's like he's more interested in his image than yes he is with absolutely. any sense of reality yeah. just kind of like but he has to have a gun in his back pocket because it looks cool to have a gun in his back pocket. Cool, yeah, he exactly, has yeah. to wear these jeans and this shirt. He has to wear a hat because it was cool to wear that. He's constantly looking at himself in the in the rearview mirror when he's driving, constantly making sure that he looks good. Like if he bumps yes. into everything, like yeah, like that end fight scene. He's like he's re- he's rearranging the re- like sorry the end chase scene. He's oh, not love, adjusting yeah. his rearview mirror so he can see what's going on behind him. Yeah, he's making he's sure that he looks good. Yeah, he looks good. <laughs> I love that the scene after he shoot he, they shoot the two teenagers and um she goes like they talk about what they're gonna have for dinner and she's like I don't want steak and she he's just like oh we'll see about that and it's it's this yeah. kind of you get that turn now where she's now finding him kind of terrifying. Um, well, she I think it's earlier on in the treehouse. She talks about like you know who who I'm gonna marry when I'm older and it's probably someone I've never even met. So I think she's conscious that. Uh. Yeah. This isn't the person for her. Yeah. It's it's the person for her right now, but not it's not someone who she ever thinks she'll ever I guess I mean like, I think with. from this point now I think she's looking for a way out of it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it there's no way out, basically. <laughs> there is from this point. I like it when uh, he shoots the guys the the guy and the girl. Like so he puts them like in like a like an what do you call them? Like it's almost like a tornado it, shelter. Yeah, it? I think it's a tornado shelter. That was what I was gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, and he locks them in, and then just points his gun in and just shoots twice. It goes. And she's like, "Are they? Are they dead?" And he goes, "Well, I'm not going in there to check." <laughs> I think they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, now they're national news, basically, aren't they? And this is the this is the bit where you get the CPA kind of news clips. That's... I loved it, man. There's a bit with a detective just pointing. Yes. Like yeah, it's like, we, it's it's like, so, we got like, the top detectives on the case, and they got like a, yeah. yeah, a guy pointing at a thing of going, "This is where crime happened," and over there is more crime. <laughs> so um, yeah, they're kind of notorious now, so people are actually looking for them. They're, yeah, and you got all people kind of um, signing up to be bounty hunters, and they're getting their kind of like getting bullets ready, and little gangs and militars ready, going out to find them and things. So, like it's it's these scenes though, like. I think when he goes to this, uh, when he goes to that farm, and then later on when they're in the desert after this, like you know when they go and hide out in the desert. Mm. I mean that's a bit later on, but the just man, the cinematography in this film is just—it's like for a a low budget film. (laughs) And oh, the one thing I never mentioned about uh, (laughs) Days of Heaven, apparently the DP of that film was going blind. What? And. He had to have his assistant take a Polaroid of every setup before they shot, so he could like have it right up close to his face. Whoa! To make sure. So set... <laughs> yeah. Apparently, oh. this has this has got three cinematographers on it on Badlands. That's insane. It's probably because it was just uh, it keeps. I don't want to call it a student film, even though it basically is. 
But like they probably they maybe they just keep changing it because of the they had because they shot abroad as well, didn't they? Because the section we're coming up to now with the rich man that was shot in um, uh, Trinidad. For some oh, reason. Have, so one of the cinematographers on this film, his name is Tak Fujimoto. Fujimoto. Yeah, Fujimoto. He uh, was he was a second unit photography cinematographer on Star Wars. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, Fujimoto anyway. has, has got an absolutely great career as a cinematographer. Yeah. Well, he's still. Oh no, he looks like he ha- it looks like he's slowed down his work now. Last the last thing he did was 2013. It's called God's Behaving Badly. Oh, he did. He did fucking Silence of the Lambs. He he, he, he worked did, with Jonathan Demme. He did all of Demme's did, films. Did Six Sense? Not all of them because he didn't do Rachel Getting Married. But he did. Yeah, he did Truth About Charlie, Manicuring Candidate, Beloved, Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Philadelphia anyway, as well. Um, Jonathan Demme. I love Jonathan Demme. <laughs> so the scene. So I guess after this um, vignette kind of yeah, the little sepia uh, tone. Reels. That's when he goes to the the mansion. Yeah, the rich man. Yeah. Yeah. And they knock on the door, and the 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 maid's deaf and just lets them in. Deaf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This scene's so weird. It's like they're almost imagining what life could be like. Like they're sitting in all the nice chairs and going, "This is nice yeah, to sit in yeah. this chair." And and I start getting that she's kind of really is looking to escape because she kind of wanders off at one point, um, trying with her stick to try and like imagine if she could just run away now. Um, yeah, does she go? Does she go outside of the house? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she, she wanders does, yeah. down. Yeah, but I think I felt like the at this point you kind of get the press of blaming her. Like she's that like evil woman who has him wrapped around her little finger. I think she says this to the guy. Like they're they're all saying that she's got him wrapped around her little finger and. And but we've seen it that it's completely the opposite. She's much more of a passenger in this. Well, it's what sells papers, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. That's what you know, it makes it more interesting to and um to read that's yeah, Terence Malik turns up and leaves a message for the rich man. Um and that's but when they look, decide to run away. So he he throws that message into the <laughs> the big giant vase, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, they so they lock the the rich guy and the maid in a, like a closet, and then he yeah. steals his hat and his jacket. Yeah, and some groceries, <laughs> like don't a, they? Like, a yeah. pinstripe pinstripe jacket. But then you got like he looked, he looks a bit like Tom Waits when he did that. When he was around with <laughs> he does hat. look like Tom Waits, yeah. <laughs> and then he um, that's when like she's kind of getting fed up with him more. Her like her attitude's changing. She's getting annoyed at him. Uh, about being dragged everywhere she kind of objects now and again and and he's yeah. just dismissing her and this is this seems wonderful that's when they're driving across the desert and the entire desert's just lit by their their headlamps so all yeah. you can see is the headlamps in the desert and uh yeah because that this is what reminded me of wild at heart because they pull yes. over and have a dance yeah they do yeah they danced by the lights um to nat king cole don't they um yeah, yeah. and oh that was a one that's such a good oh, i love that scene like, but like um, obviously in Wild at Heart they pull over and they're dancing to to metal. Heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. But I loved how like because it's like this pitch black desert, you know, there's no other lights coming in and they're just lit by their like um headlights dancing in them. It just felt like this is when like the fairy tale aspect to me really stood out because it was so like they're just trapped in their own world. Um Yeah. And and 
that's all that matters is this kind of little closeted closed world to them they spin the bottle in the ground to decide which way to go in the desert and stuff it's so like it's it's romantic in a kind of like you know like kind of fairy tale way um the yeah. badlands itself is like like where they are now like it's like a great wonderful destination that maybe they can make their little kind of tree house again or something like so is the what is the badlands is the badlands the swampy kind of area where they make the tree houses the badlands the desert the badlands is the desert yeah is that the desert yeah yeah the ba- i can't I, I can't remember what state it's in is it um montana i think um the badlands national park i believe it is um so it's it's okay. where like it's just a huge desert rocky limestone desert i think like so it looked gorgeous so what's what follows this then is it where it's where the is... uh helicopter turns up then oh yeah yeah and she so basically... how, do they, how do, are they just are they just looking for them that way just using a helicopter is oh don't they stop for gas actually yeah they stop for gas That's... and they see a helicopter um and it's they both have really interesting reactions to this because he's actually excited that the story is going to come to an end um that he's going to be able to confront them and he will get more famous through that because he will like be yeah, they'll know him notorious yeah uh, whereas Holly basically refuses to do any more running, and she just says, "I'm going to stand, stay here, and wait for them." And she gives herself up. She's just fed yeah. up with that kind of chase. Well, he kills one of the pilots. Yeah, he? so he kills one of the pilots, and then as he drives off, the pilot of the other, the the pilot of the helicopter comes out, and Holly just kind of walks up to him with his hand, her hands in the air, just like, "Hi, <laughs> like you can have me." And that's when they start have a chase. So he's driving through the desert and he's giving um the police are chasing him and he keeps checking himself in the mirror and fixing his hair and Well hang on. so when he goes to the garage he goes by himself because he's he's got her cl- he's got her brief suitcase and he's chucking all of her stuff away. Oh yeah, yeah. And then as he's about to leave he sees a police car and he hides but then they obviously spot him and that's when they chase him don't they? So he obviously mm. outrun the helicopter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's when they, the chase happens. But that ch- that chase scene, as you said, it's brilliant because it's not an action sequence. It's it's just more about him as a character as opposed to yeah being thrilling. But it's still shot really well, though. Oh yeah, when <laughs> like, they break the barbed wire fence, and oh, the, you hear the sound of it, the sound, sound like a of gun it, gun. yeah, that like it's it's wonderful. Like, um, and then he he basically outraces them and he realizes that so he stops the car sabotages his own tire kind of puts his hat on nicely and and uh he builds a little can of stones to mark the spot where he was caught so he's like legend building himself he wants he wants to be famous like he wants people to come here and see that's that's where he got caught he built this little can of stones like well is that where he put his gun do he put his gun in there no, he doesn't put anything in it. Does he not? Does he not put anything in it? Sure, he doesn't. Well, maybe he does put his gun in it, but he's definitely. When the cops come in, he's definitely like, "Look, that's where. That's where you caught me. I built that." Like, just to make sure the they know. Car, the cop car, like as it's trying to turn the corner, just like ends up on its back. Yeah. But um, but that scene's great though. Following them when they've caught him. And uh, they're driving back, and it's like, goes, you look like that James Dean fella. Yeah, and yeah. Obviously, yeah. that like, he loves it. He loves that. Yeah, yeah. He's um, 
because he's really affable. They really love him. He's really like joking with them and laughing and he loves the attention. He's standing around on the plane and he's giving bits of like his items to to the cops. He's like, here's a pen. You can have a pen. You can tell well, everyone that's my pen. And... <laughs> that was a good moment. Is it, do you want a comb? <laughs> yeah, do you want a comb? Like... You can have that. Like... But it's when they chuck away um, his hat in the police car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he gets mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, but he obviously, he obviously has some feelings towards uh, Sissy SpaceX character because he says, you know, I'm going to try and get you off the charges yeah. or whatever. I loved them when they they meet up at the end and they're just chatting and he's like, eh, it's too bad about your dad. We're going to have to sit down and talk about that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like an insane so line at this point it, in the yeah. film. But yeah, he it, it it's like... It's almost like I, I start watching this film and I don't realise that he's a psychopath. And it's almost like... not not It's it's almost quite near the end when I'm like, oh shit, this guy is completely mad. Yeah. And it's it's like it, the film, it's like it hidden... It didn't hide it from me, but it perfectly, like, perfectly revealed his character going through. It perfectly grew the character. It wasn't like a moment where I just saw everything. Like, you know, the Emperor's you know, new clothes or whatever. It just perfectly, like, just slowly stripped him off until I saw, oh, that's who he actually is. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was, I, just, I don't know, it, there's another element to this film that just made me absolutely engrossed in it, I guess. So what? what's the guy saying to him in the helicopter when they go, well, not, is it helicopter or plane at the end when they're, no, like, a plane, they're aren't leaving? They? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember. All I remember is she's kind of she smiles at him, like kind of acknowledging his charm, and then she just then kind of sadly looks out on the 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 window again, looking at the clouds and the journey. Um, yeah, almost like she knew at that point it was the charm that kind of like got her into this situation. I think that's a bit earlier on when she's in the car. She does the same thing. She just stares out into the badlands and, and sees that kind of the, the view. I think she even narrates it. She says like, you know, I need to take this time to kind of enjoy where we are and enjoy the kind of uh, the view and stuff and then it comes back it comes back when she's in the plane because yeah like and then after that you know you find out he gets the electric chair like what seven months later mm. and, she gets off and, doesn't she uh, yeah they talk about his um he said he slept during the uh when they when they talked about his crimes he just fell asleep <laughs> and then she gets off because she marries the defense attorney's son oh yeah that's right yeah yeah. I think she gets probation and yeah. And that's I mean, it's the end of the film. What a fantastic what a fantastic film though. Honestly. Uh, yeah, it is. It's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's it's ninety minutes long. <laughs> ninety minutes long. Like I mean is it is it the best, let's say, American debut film for a filmmaker? Well I was gonna say, like, like, like this and Days of Heaven, they're like they're pure American films, aren't they? All about yeah. American ideals and kind of aspirations and just the psyche of the climate of the country and stuff. But like, it's but and yeah, of like uh, in middle America as well, yeah. that kind of anxiety about it. But um, it's got to be up there as one of the greatest film debuts. I mean, like you know, Spielberg. Yes, he did Jewel, which is a TV movie, mm. but like it wasn't till Jaws, which was a couple of films in. Like, yeah. he nailed it um, same with Lucas you know 
<clears throat> yeah, THX is a uh, bit ropey in my opinion, but yeah, and I'd say Star Wars for me was probably saved by the editing. Yeah, probably. Um, and then the better films in the Star Wars franchise, he didn't direct. And then you know, um, <laughs> I'd say not, not, but Michael yeah. Mann, his first film's Thief, which is wonderful film as well. Uh, I'm not the biggest Michael Mann fan. I'm not a huge Michael Mann fan, but Thief's a very good film. Like, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, not even Wes Anderson. Like, if Rushmore was his first film, no, it's Bottle Rocket, Rushmore. isn't it? Yeah, if it's Bottle Rocket, which is a bit of a mixed bag. Jonathan Demme does a load of weird um, Roger Corman films first, so yeah. and they're not great. Yeah, M Night's always learned. a pit one people claim to have a great debut, but Six Sense is not his first film by far. Yeah, it's like yeah, his yeah. third film. Yeah, I you're probably right to be honest. You know, even is. we learned early Scorsese's first one isn't isn't Main Street. It's um, Boxcar Birth or whatever. So I don't know what my cat's doing. He's being very bizarre. <laughs> what can't explain? He's it trying to you. get. He's trying to get in everything. Like I've got like a rolled up duvet, and he's trying to get inside the rolled up duvet on the floor. He's he's quite. He just wants to go outside, I think, and he's not allowed out at night. So um, so he's just annoying no, me you're to not, try and. You're not climbing up there, get down. <laughs> I'll tell you one I thought of. Um, What's that? Uh, Brad Bird, Iron Giant. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that is a very good shout. That's a really good debut film. Hang, hang on, I need to get the cat, he's going to topple <laughs> everything over. <laughs> Come here, you. Come here. Hello there. Hey, yep. So yeah, um, thought, yeah, of no, yeah. thought of a few more. Thought of a few more. So, what about Get Out, Jordan Peele? That's kind of a good one. Um, I like it. I, I would not put it on par with this, though. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of strong debut films, like Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig is very strong. Oh, that, that is a good film. Um, and oh, uh, I mean, Boys in Boys in the Hood. To be honest, true. Boys in the Hood. Yeah, we did that in this. What about is is being John Malkovich Spike Jones's debut? It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So that that's yeah. up there. Um, and I guess there's point. one big one that we haven't we forgot about. Um, Citizen Kane is awesome Wells debut film. So yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Oh, good old Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Okay. Um, Though I'm not a massive fan of Reservoir Dogs, if I'm honest. I know people love it, but I think it's just fine. I think it's just a fine film. It's a fine film. It I haven't film. seen it in a long time. Maybe I need to. I love Pulp Fiction. It's, very, it's iconic, though, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, it's very... it's immensely iconic. But... Quentin Tarantino um, comes up too much in this podcast. I don't like it. I think we should have a Quentin like <laughs> memoratorium or something. Can like, we just like, put him to a love side? Love him or hate him, he's he's very important to yeah nineties onwards cinema. Just because all the films he makes are riffing on all these classic films and like just kind of hodgepodging them together to make his own film. Yeah, so they are going to crop up a lot. Um, Did we talk about Quentin Tarantino last week because of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I think we briefly. I think you briefly mentioned the fight scene that okay. he has with. Um, That's uh, not important. Brad <laughs> I just wondered. <laughs> anyway, check back in our 1940s series when we do Citizen Kane. But for the moment, this is 1973, <laughs> and. Terence Malick absolutely fucking nails a film, like, and this goes on to to 
Terence Malick goes on to be, be like, oh shit, this guy knows how to make films. Like, and yeah. weirdly enough, he does one other film after this and then disappears for 20 fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still insane to say that. Like, um, comes back with a load of films that people, you know, Thin Red Line, New World, but then he does a load of films that people are a bit iffy on. Um, but I still, I think it's unarguable that he's incredibly important, incredibly like, um, like, uh, like, strong american filmmaker like of of like american cinema um rather than international yeah. cinema like um and it, yes he's polarizing but i think i think few directors have kind of inspired such i don't know deep criticism or deep thought in kind of critics even abroad you know in palm doors and cans and stuff like that events film festivals i think if a new terence malick film's coming out it's not it's a it's still a big deal even though it's it's not quite like what it was when Thin Red Line came out, but he's um, I think I really like him. <laughs> do you remember when um, do you remember the trailer for um, Man of Steel came out and everyone's like, they're doing a Terrence Malick Superman style film. Oh my god, yeah, that was a take, wasn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, God, I wish they fucking would. That I'd would be quite that. interesting. <laughs> I'd watch that more than whatever bullshit we get. Who who do the narration in that? Because obviously, you know, all those films have a a narrator. Have a bit of a whisperer. He'd be a yeah. good whisperer. Let's just have um. You can have Brad Pitt. I don't think Brad Pitt can do some good whispering. <laughs> he could be Superman's dad. He's got that. He's got that age now. To be fair, he'd probably be quite a yeah. good Jor El. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, Casting director. Um, God, we're in an age where. Brad Pitt is the elderly dad in like a. <laughs> How old is Brad Pitt? Do you know? Older than you probably think. Like he's been going since the eighties. He was in <laughs> Thelma and Louise and stuff, wasn't he? So he's probably nearly sixty. Yeah, I yeah, I'm gonna guess. Fifty-eight. Okay. Fifty-six. Yeah. Is that your guess, or is that how old he is? No, that's how old he okay. is. Okay. You have like guessing games, Ollie. Sorry, I do. I I genuinely do like Brad Pitt, though. I think he's a. Oh, he's great. He's yeah. He's like, he's one of those like, he's one of those Hollywood like massive Hollywood actors. But I don't think he's ever had like a. He's not. He hasn't done a Tom Cruise where he's got like a franchise or he's got no. like his million well, dollar Oceans movie or whatever. Is a bit him, but yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of those. I like the first one, but um, what I kind of like about Brad Pitt, about Brad Pitt as well is that he's he he's a like an executive producer he pu- pushes film um, oh, yeah, like he executive produced stuff like Lost City of Z and Okta Okja um, and stuff like that Bill Street Could Talk I think he was involved with and things um, and I think that's a really good thing for someone like Brad Pitt you know a celebrity Hollywood celebrity to actually do to, to give back yeah because he's got his own production company hasn't yeah. he yeah and but, um... Ad Astro if you haven't seen it, it was wonderful from last year and no, I keep meaning to watch that. Is that the one where he go? He's uh, an astronaut. Yeah, and he goes to find his dad, Tommy Lee Jones, who's lost around Jupiter. Oh, okay. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> that one out. It's really good. It's uh, really, really, really good. I wonder if he's gotten over that kind of like thing where he had to eat in every single scene. Like you know, that was his business. Yeah, that was his thing, eat. wasn't it? It like Burn After Reading is is one of those Brad Pitt eating films. Every scene he's got yeah. something like. I tell you, I tell you, there's another actor like that. Watch early 
uh, George Clooney films, he's got a very weird head tick that he does. He keeps okay. like twitching his head. So if you ever watch like Batman and Robin or like Out of Sight, yeah, or um, Dust Till Dawn, he does this weird like little little head twitch like thing when he's talking. It's a really really weird tick which he loses by the time he's done. By the time he's like on oceans, he's lost that. Huh. But like. I don't know I if that's noticed. like an insecurity thing with actors where they have to give themselves like a little give them something to concentrate on or give them something to yeah, like lean into. Focus on. Yeah. Here's my last okay, who do you think's older, Clooney or Pitt? I think Clooney's older than Brad Pitt. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Hey. I can't stump you on <laughs> any question I ever ask you. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so you're on you're on letterbox, what are you giving this out of five? I gave We give this. Brad Pitt out of five. I'll give Brad Pitt five and a little heart because it's letterbox. Yeah. And I also give Badlands five and a little heart. This is, I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I yeah. didn't, did not expect to love this as this much. I thought I'd like it, you know. It's, I'm, I'm but... just angry with myself for not watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't that. believe I hadn't seen this before. Yeah, totally. That's going to, that's going to be a theme with something if we cover. But yeah, yeah this, I, I, I was like, don't get me wrong all the films we've watched i've been very happy and glad we've watched but mm. this this may have been the first one that i'm like i was like genuinely angry with my younger self for not yeah how did you not it, sit down and watch this why has no one yelled at me about this film that's like, what i'm angry about i've owned it on dvd for a good 15 years and like <laughs> just sat there like and you know you know when you're like just an asshole 20 odd year old person you think oh i should own this film this film this film because yes. it looks cool on my shelf and it makes yes. it look like i know yeah, yeah. and if you just watch it you'll realize it's an amazing film <laughs> and it would probably have influenced you a lot earlier on in what yeah. you're making now and, it'd, and, it'd, and would help you but it's like why did i spend a day watching the phantom the spirit the the other one <laughs> yes <laughs> like, what have i got out of that yeah why did i do that when i could have just watched badlands and I would have got the same thing out of it then. Well, the same thing I got out of it now is what I mean. So, um, what are we talking about next week? I haven't got a clue what we're talking about next week. Um, oh, yes. Uh, next week, um, Brandon's coming back, uh, actually. Because hey. we're talking about um, the taking of Pelham 123. Which, um, awesome. uh, I have seen the remake of this film. Is that by Tony Scott? Yes, it is Tony oh, Scott. Yeah. I was trying to, yeah. And it's not very good. It's, I don't know. No, it's not very good. Tony Scott, is a, he's one of those... He, he's he got a very distinctive style. He's hes kind of from the kind of... He definitely doesn't take after his brother. He's more in the Michael Bay kind of style. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Very, very saturated, kind of kinetic kind of films. And I'm... Like, did he do Man on Fire? Yeah, I think he did. Everybody like raved about that film, and I watched it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this one." It's I mean, not... I, I, I'm a fan of Tony Scott. I, I like True Romance is wonderful. Top Gun, yes. I mean, it's great. Never, I haven't seen. So we'll get into that. It's going to be a special episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unstoppable is wonderful. Everyone should see Unstoppable. It's a great fucking film. Um, see. Was that about a train? Yeah, yeah. It's about yeah. the train they couldn't stop. It was unstoppable. <laughs> but it's wonderful. That was his last film as well, I think. Was it? Um, but like Beverly Hills Cop 2, did he do? Last Boy oh, he did, Scout? Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. He's a yeah. He's an odd. I'm not odd trying one. to say he wasn't a successful director because. Yeah, clearly was. Like, yeah. He clearly was. He was. Did he do Deja Vu as well? He did, he yeah. He did. With, he did. I think he, he did a lot Denzel of those Denzel action films, yeah. Like Man yeah. on Fire, Deja Vu. Um, he did Enemy of the State as well, I think, and Crimson Tide. Like, really? So, yeah. He's got, he was very varied in what he made. He wasn't like... He's not like Ridley. He's very different epics, to his though. brother. Very different, yeah. But did he do the A-Team as well? Like, am I making No, up? that was... The A-Team was... The guy did shooting aces, and I've forgotten. Ah, his okay. Name. Um, but anyway, we're not talking about Tony Scott next week, Ollie. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we're not because we're talking about the 1973 film, The Taking of Pelham One Two Three. 1974 film, Taking of Pelham One Two Three, which was directed by Joseph Sargent and stars uh, Walter Matthau, yeah. um, which and Robert Shaw, I think. So some good 70s actors with that, and. Uh, um, just to let you know, Tony Scott did produce the A Team, though. Oh, okay, I knew it was connected somehow. Like I knew it was some so S- Scott presents. Was it, was it a Scott free production? Yes, it was. It was. Yes. Anyway, the, yes. We'll talk some Taking Walter, Walter Matthau next week. Anyway, like who? What do you know Walter Matthau from? Because I think I know him from Dennis. Dennis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next week we're talking Dennis Star. Walter Matthew in <laughs> Taking a Felon 1, 2, 3. Right then. Uh, so I guess that wraps it up for today. So uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track. That's uh, Why Are Not Your. Uh, we're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can reach out to us on Instagram as well, at Better Feeling Films. You can see my film exploits as well. Yeah. And remember... If the pitch is bad, don't forget to adjust your tracking. Okay, now it's uh, now it's just tracking after credits with special mention from Ollie Jones. It's not this is so ridiculous. But one of my favourite moments in this film is where he kills a football. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <Is> yes. That... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was worth coming back to record. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>